Hello there. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> How was the Yankee game? Uh, it was emotional, and then it was extraordinarily disappointing. And because I was at the Yankee game today, I, uh, I'm probably going to sound like I've taken to chain smoking. <laughs> Well, you know they they uh, they can set up the special events, but they can't usually can't fix the outcome. No, you know it, I, I'm not going to go all baseball. We've got tons and tons of nerd stuff to talk about, but it, you know it was bad. That I don't even know why I haven't. Because it's funny when you go to a game, sometimes you don't. Uh, you know, and like the cell phone reception's bad because there's forty eight thousand people all trying to use the same network and. Um, so I didn't follow the Twitter. I don't. I didn't follow any of the Yankee beat writers. I don't know what the explanation is, but <laughs> the Yankees' designated hitter today was Stephen Drew, who's hitting 160 and has five home runs on the season. They like picked him out of like off waivers <laughs> like three weeks ago, and they never pinch hit for him. And they got to the end of the game. They had a man on first. They're down by two. And Drew is up again, and there's nobody on the bench. And this is after the the roster expansion. That's how that's how bad yeah. the Yankees have gotten. That reminds me, uh, as a fan of a National League team, th- this happens a lot when National League teams. Again, yes, we're talking about baseball. Uh, when National League teams try to play in the American League, sometimes they're like they, their designated hitter is just some guy. Right. It's like literally the fourth outfielder because right. they don't have a designated hitter. So they're like, well, I don't know this guy. <laughs> But there's like designated a classic designated hitter is David Ortiz from the Red Sox, right? Big guy who's always going to try to knock the 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 hide off the ball and just hit it hard, and probably a good hitter, but at least also a power hitter. But right. in theory, though, you could put anybody there. Like you could put Ichiro there, and he's right. not a power hitter. But if you had an, you know, you but ideally have... he's not your like ninth best hitter, right? <laughs> it's like the it's just so bad. If they were, yeah. if the New York Yankees this year were the Minnesota Twins or the the Cleveland Indians or name any other team from you know somewhere in the middle of the country, no offense to those teams, I'm just saying a team that's not a perennial powerhouse, and they had this record and they had this lineup and these starting pitchers, and nobody would be paying any attention to them all. It would be a curiosity that they're theoretically still in the wild card race, yes. but nobody would even no. There wouldn't be like nightly updates on ESPN about their where they are in the wild card race. It's just because of the Yankees and because there's one particular guy on the roster named Derek Jeter. Right. Which was the, I mean, that's kind of the point of, of, of today. So, you know, but it's true. They're, they're not, they're one of those teams. I I noticed that the Padres are like six games out or something in the wild card. And it's like the technically in it still kind of category where people aren't really paying attention, but they're something magical could happen, but probably won't, but could. Yeah, um, yeah, probably not. I'm a little worried. I got a little <laughs> worried by the end of the game that it's because I think they're five games over 500, and I actually think that that's a remarkable achievement given what's happened to them. They've had four out of their five starting pitchers on opening day uh, had, had like season-ending injuries or almost right. season-ending injuries. Pineda was out. I don't know four months. It's remarkable that the team with four out of their five starting pitchers having season-ending, possibly career-ending in the case of CC Sabathia injuries, is five games over five hundred. That's remarkable. But here's the thing: I, the the takeaway I came from today, where I was, I left Yankee Stadium very depressed. And my thought is, everybody's hoping that Jeter at least gets to finish the season, maybe chasing down a wild card. My fear oh. is that he's going to finish the season chasing down the first ever losing season that he's had as a Yankee. 
It could happen. But they, you know, then again, they could be, you know, sometimes, uh, again, it depends on what your, what your expectations are. I remember that there was a period in the, uh, uh, early 2000s when the Giants were, I think they played like five or six years where they had like three games where they were eliminated. And most of those years, you know, the Giants have, I think, never won the division two years in a row, ever. Um, but uh, that, there was something good about that, that they, they would get eliminated the last week of the season. Hmm. And even if they didn't win the division or the wild card, they they weren't playing meaningless games uh, to late September. And I realize that's in some ways a low bar, but I, I do kind of like that. The idea that you're always around and maybe some years you fall short and you're five games out or whatever at the end. But, but um, you know, when, when that all so, sort of fall, fell apart and there were a couple of years there where they were out in like the end of August, it felt really strange because that's the thing you get used to is, you know, at least we're in it. We might not make it, but we're in it till almost it's the end of the, you know, it's the football season. (laughs) It doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Right. I actually, that was actually one of the reasons I think as a boy that I became a Dallas Cowboys fan. And one of my favorite things about my, the Tom Landry era Dallas Cowboys was that I believe the number is 20, that they had 20 consecutive winning seasons where they won at least nine out of the 16 games. Right. And during that era, clearly the dominant team of that era was the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Steelers, I don't think, yep. you, know, you know, the the Cowboys, I think, took one from the Steelers, but the Steelers beat the Cowboys more than the, the you know, the other way around, and they won yep. four in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you you could argue then that afterwards that the 49ers supplanted the Cowboys, the, the Joe Montana era 49ers. And right. literally in one game, you know, there was like a passing of the torch with the catch. But the thing about that that twenty consecutive winning seasons to me is that's that's an incredible thing, you know. That's like an amazing consistency. I think with Jeter, I and again, I'm just talking off the cuff here, but I believe. And at one point, I know it was true. Don't count last year because he only played 17 years because of the ankle. Um, but in all the ga- all the seasons he's had full seasons with the Yankees, he's only played one meaningless game, hmm. one time. The last, and it was the last ever game at Yankee Stadium. The the old Yankee Stadium, so it wasn't even meaningless. It was that that was the one game where they were now they're technically out of the playoffs, but it was the last game at the house that Ruth built. So you could argue that it wasn't meaningless. It was actually very emotional, and Jeter gave a speech to a completely sold out, completely you know emotional crowd. That's well, a, I mean, that, and that's a that's twenty the, year career. That's the magic of uh, yeah. I think there I think there's something to be said for being in it and. Uh, and uh, like I said, uh, that was a great era for the Giants when they when you could count on on m- maybe one hand the number of meaningless games that they played over a course of like four or five years, and they didn't win. Uh, actually, you know, they got to the World Series one of those years, and the rest of them, I think they they went the playoffs once, and the rest of them they didn't even make the playoffs. But it was that thing of like you weren't playing out the string. You were you were uh, the games were meaningful, and even if the, you ended up on the wrong side of them, they were meaningful. And that I, I know that sounds strange for especially if you're like, well, a championship is the only thing that'll that'll do. But there is something to going to a game and saying, hey, maybe something magical could happen here, yeah. versus like literally these are two teams that are going nowhere and don't care anymore. Yeah, that's the worst. It is absolutely. That's the Astros playing the Padres, and yeah. But it's you know that's baseball, you know, and yeah. that's what that's you know it's a sport where, and you know, we could get into complaints about the wild card and everything, but it's still even with the wild card <laughs> and even with the expansion of the wild card, it's still a sport where just making it to the postseason is special. Like I can't, I can't, I can't yeah. fathom the sports like the NBA, where it's almost hard not to make the playoffs. You yeah, to- where it's just about seeding and like clearing out the absolute dregs, right? 
and then you all play, you know, then then you're in a tournament. You might as well. There was that one year where I think the NHL came back from a strike and they literally just did a tournament. Yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> like we give up. Right. Who needs a season? Uh, anyway, busy week ahead. It's going to be huge. I don't even know where to start. I think it's... Uh, so we're recording Sunday night. We're going to air this tomorrow. People will be listening on Monday. I think this is probably one of those episodes where people won't won't wait around. If you did and you waited around, then you're listening to it after the fact. But all those of you listening on Monday, uh, the 8th right. of September 2014, uh, we're talking the prelude to, to Apple's big, uh, well, we don't know what event, but we can, we can make some, yeah. some pretty good guesses. It's gone from everybody thought it was going to be an iPhone event and maybe something else to it's quickly zeroed into uh, iPhones, two iPhones and quote unquote a wearable. Right. Which is funny because this is the event we always think of as the iPhone event. And the iPhone is Apple's biggest product. And this is by any measure. And I, you know, I can only look at like, I know what the Mac world traffic is like for the last few years. And um, people talk about, oh, Apple events are big. The iPhone event is of a scale of, in terms of just general interest on the web that is beyond any other Apple event of the year. The iPhone event always pins the needle in a way that an iPad event or a WWDC keynote just doesn't i mean right. and so it's fascinating that everybody's suddenly like talking about the wearable thing because without it this would still be the biggest apple event of the year yes that's absolutely true um and i i think what's weird about that um i was just talking offline with uh with dave off the show not on the show but with my friend dave whiskus about this over the weekend and we were talking about with with this the rumors that there's going to be a wearable announcement, call it the watch or whatever kind of thing it is. It doesn't really matter, but the the rumor is that they're going to announce it and then it won't. It may not ship right away. It may not even ship in calendar 2014. Right. It might just be for whatever reason. And we got to speculating. Well, why would they pre-announce something if it wasn't ready to go on sale yet? Um, and in 2007, when the only time they really, I can remember them ever doing that, like a significant lead time was with the original iPhone. Yeah. Yeah. Whether, where that was the Macworld Expo in January and it didn't ship till uh, July. Or was it June, June 27th? Or it was, it was like summer that. for it sure. Was, it was, and it was late June if it was uh -huh. June. I think it was like June 28th or something. Yeah. End of June. Right. right. This is why we need a chat room because, of course, there's somebody out there who is, you know, got <laughs> well, I remember that because my family and I were going to summer camp and we'd made the reservations like a year in advance. And uh, I got the iPhone the day we were supposed to leave for summer camp. And so I reviewed the iPhone in a tent. I, you know, what's <laughs> funny. I, I went with Amy and, and her, some of her family to the shore in, uh, uh, we are, my fam my side of the family always goes to the Jersey shore. This was ocean city, Maryland, where I'd never even been before the next day. So it was like, I had stayed up all night and wrote like a first, thoughts and then we went to the shore and i was <laughs> i have to i think i i try to be a good you know vacationer you know don't don't stay you know attached to the internet and you know the stuff i usually do when i'm with my family but with a brand new iphone it was it was impossible it was impossible to to think of anything other than the iphone that was in my hand yeah oh yeah I had to we and we had no cell service at the at the camp, so oh, I had to wow. actually I had to drive like forty minutes down the mountainside to 
to test like the phone part of it but but it was definitely summer it was one of those things that like apple was ruining every everybody's summer vacation because that was late june and yeah yeah and if you were going to extend like a weekend trip to like the fourth of july it was right smack dab there yeah but that's six months six full months between i remember your review your review when you say you had no cell service you don't mean like uh it was like one bar whatever it was like no surface right you know the little thing that says no surface right didn't even have the at&t logo no, no, it was right. a complete, uh, complete empty void, and so yeah, I, I went down the mountain about twenty five minutes, and 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 sat pulled over by the side of the road, basically, when I had like a bar and made a couple of calls and did some data. Just it was ridiculous, but that was that was how I can always remember that it was summer vacation right around the end of June, beginning of July, and and that was despite the fact that the event was MacWorld Expo, so that was early January. So there's a huge process, but that allowed them to keep it secret, right? Which I think is the scenario here with this wearable is that we all know. Um, I mean, not to get into more anecdotes, but like I remember you went to New York. I was since I'm in California, I went to Cupertino, but they did those briefings for Mountain Lion. And yes. um, everybody walked into those briefings and basically um, was like, what the hell are you guys talking about? Because there had been no rumors about it, that there was going to be a new version of OS X that soon. And I remember running into M.G. Siegler afterward, and we looked at each other and both kind of mouthed, oh, my God, right? And that's because, uh, you know, Cupertino's pretty locked down. And so the iPhone was pretty locked down because it wasn't in the supply chain yet. And so many of these leaks, like about the iPhone 6, come from the supply chain. And this wearable isn't in the supply chain yet. And we people talk about FCC approvals, leaking things. And that, that may be true. But also, like, if you announce it early enough, it's not outside Cupertino. And uh, maybe, maybe you know, some theoretical parts are. But the whole product is not in production. Right. And that means they can make that splash. And they, you can only do that once. Right. Yeah, that's exactly the point that that I was making over the weekend privately is that Steve Jobs, This is and this is what was thrown in my face, was, well, Steve Jobs said in 2007 that the reason they were pre-announcing the iPhone was FCC. They didn't want to have it come out through FCC regulations. They're going to announce it now. They're going to put it through the regulatory process. They're going to put it through the carrier testing process with, with Singular. Um, and that would spoil the secret, and they wanted to show it to us now. And it's not quite finished software-wise, but we'll, you know, we'll be ready right. in, in six months. Uh, and that that wouldn't apply to a wearable because a wearable wouldn't need to get all the same regulatory stuff that a cell phone was, which I don't know is true, actually. I think maybe it does if it has – I don't know what the regulations are. I think are. if it's got radios in it, it has to go right. through some sort of and process. It, yeah, if it has you know this NFC or Wi-Fi or Bluetooth, right. or it has to have some kind of connectivity, presumably. But I think it's more than that, though. See, here's – I think there's a huge difference between 2014 and 2007, which is in 2007, as big a deal as Steve Jobs' keynotes were to guys like me and you, people who listen to this show, people who read Macworld and Daring Fireball, right. we, we still hung on keynotes, right? We got up and got in line to get in the keynotes at WWDC or we'd you know listen to the live feed and stuff like that. Yep. But it was not that many people compared to today. And there was no, even all the speculation, and there were so many rumor sites, there were tons, always have been Apple rumor sites. And Apple rumor sites have always been trying to, you know, get the goods on upcoming stuff. But there was nothing like the market of speculation for for new iPhones and this pressure. And I think it's, you know, it's clearly financial pressure that there there's money exchanging hands to get these. Yeah 
prototypes and mock-ups and shell casings and screens and home screen buttons and you know it's, everything has leaked i'm not well, saying that we know everything that the phone's going to do but at least the parts have all leaked i mean you, there'll be updates somebody will find literally like here's the volume buttons of the new iphone yeah and you know in the last couple of years the first couple of years when that started happening everybody was like ah it's got to be fake 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 and it ends up it's like ah that you know that was actually right well, the and supply think- chain just, I mean, I think the economics of, of uh, the people working in the supply chain, which is almost entirely in Asia, uh, almost entirely in China, um, you know, th- there are so many people involved. And, you know, culturally, it doesn't take that much for somebody who's be- not being paid very much to get paid a bribe, basically, right. to slide one of the 15 samples they've got to somebody else. And I and I think that's how business gets done. I mean, I really, I'm trying not to judge this, because right. I think by their, uh, their cultural standards, it's not that big a deal. That's sort of how business gets done and how competition happens. But uh, from Apple's perspective, it's, you know, antithetical to what they want to do. Right. Um, and, and so they so, have to do yeah. it. Yeah. And they yeah. can't do it now. See, they can't pre-announce the iPhone. Let's just say I, I've been avoiding the term the iPhone six because I don't know what Apple's going to call it. And True. I, you know, that they, I certainly didn't predict that they would stop numbering iPads. Right? They said iPad, iPad two, and then they just went back to iPad. New iPad. Yeah. Right. New iPad. Um, and then iPad Air and iPad Mini. So I'm, you know. They've stuck with this numbering and then a stick an S after the number system for a while, but I am not making any predictions as to sure. the name. But I'll just say iPhone six as shorthand. A, yeah, shorthand. Um, they couldn't. They can't announce the iPhone six six months in advance to avoid these supply chain links be, leaks because they have to avoid the Osborne effect. Exactly. Right? The, the, even the iPad was a two month window between right. announce and ship. It's same deal because they they weren't cannibalizing some other product when they did it. But now that once that product starts, once the clock starts ticking, then you've got to you got to ship it fast because right. nobody's buying it between the day you announce and the day you ship it. Right. Because for, so for example, and I'm sure I, I've spoken to Apple Store employees and people who've worked at Apple stores, you know, have written to me during Fireball that people come in all the time and they're like, "Hey, I hear there's a new iPhone coming out. It's gonna be <laughs> sure. bigger. What do you?" Gonna? And they can honestly say. We don't know anything about it. They don't tell us stuff like that. We don't know. Here's the iPhones we have today. I can tell you all about them. If they pre-announce it in June and then somebody comes in in July and says, I hear there's going to be a big iPhone coming out. I'd like I, that sounds interesting to me. To be honest, they would have to say, yeah, you're right. It's, you know, we've pre-announced it. It's coming in uh, September. Yeah, we got uh, a layaway plan for it. Yeah, we'll, we'll see you then. <laughs> uh, they can't do that. You know, no. so I, I think, and as big as the iPod was, and I often, when I'm on these podcasts, I often start mixing up my iPods and pads, but the iPod, really, the music player, as big as it was, and as much as it kind of made Apple the household company outside the Mac community, you know, that it became a decade ago, um, you know, we all used to make jokes when Apple first started opening retail stores and you'd be walking through the mall and you'd hear a kid say, uh, mom, I want to go to the iPod store. Right. right. I, I mean, I heard that several times um, from, you know, not from the same kid. Uh, it, the iPod was nothing like the iPhone. IPod, there was no no market like this for, oh, my God, here's the pre-release, you know, screen of the new iPod. Or the here's the here's the new uh, circle rocker. What do we call that? The 
what was that thing called? The, the, uh, the click wheel? Yeah, the click wheel. Yeah, you know, the people, even people who who think they follow this stuff don't always understand the scale of the iPhone that, like, I think, okay, this is going to be wrong, but, like, I think your, your run-of-the-mill brand-new iPhone model probably sells more than the entire iPod line has ever sold. And probably in just a couple of months. I mean, the scale is, is it's not even the same number scale. The iPhone is so much more popular a product than even the iPod was in its heyday. Yeah, it's just unfathomable. And and this pressure is, and you know, like from the, I think it's largely from, um, it's not from the, I think, I don't think it's from the rumor sites, the people who publish these leaks, um, I don't think that the money that they get from the page views that come in from the reports comes close to covering the sort of I, – I, it's like you. I don't want to pass judgment, but effectively the bribery mm-hmm. that's going on and theft in some cases. Um, it's the uh, – I think it's the case makers yeah. you know, th- because there, there's so much pressure to get your case to market and Apple isn't going to tell them the measurements of the new phone until it's out. And, um, and yeah, and I get, I mean, we see there are cases like for the new iPhone that are being, I get PR sometimes from people who say, we've got the new iPhone case weeks before the new iPhone has even been announced because they're confident. And, 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 and in that business, I think there's this feeling like if I can make, uh, several, you know, 5,000 silicone cases based on these dimensions that I think are accurate and I can ship them into the channel in advance, then the day that that phone drops, uh, will be there. And if, and, uh, somebody's going to be there and it better be us because if we wait to make sure it's right, somebody is going to beat us to the punch. And so they're motivated to get it right. And I'm sure there are times when they don't get it right, but I think they take the gamble because if the, if their Intel is right and the, the mold that they've made based entirely on parts and, hearsay and whatever if it fits then they can immediately ship it to the channel and sell those and strike while the the iron is hot and so they're motivated to do it yeah exactly um and you know the other one i i I linked them up last week i think their name is feld and voss the heck is it it's this i think they're russian feld and volk v-o-l-k uh Go to feldvoke.com, F-E-L-D-V-O-L-K.com. And they don't make cases. What they do is they take iPhone 5Ss, I guess new ones, anodize the aluminum to new colors. They cut oh, yeah. the back and put in like actual, not like a wood case. They actually put like a wood panel in the back or, you know, like a flower pattern. And they, they take out the volume buttons and replace them with 18 karat gold volume and silence rocker buttons. Um Right. And sell them, resell them for like $9,000. Uh, and I heard from people, and I'd never heard of them before. I mean, I've, it just seems crazy. But apparently it's a big thing like in Moscow. Like all the, the oligarchs are, are into these things mm-hmm. because they're, it's like a culture, you know, where these crazy billionaire Russians want people to know they have $10,000 iPhones. But isn't that, isn't that better than the that crazy uh, – um, <clears throat> luxury i can't even remember the name of it but you know the Vir- that, virtue 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 right? right i mean this is like a competitor to that where it's like it's a real iphone right. but we've actually taken the parts but again there's that you, you've got then you really want to know what the shape of the parts are in advance right. so you can start working on it right and they had a super high quality video like sure 
they made like a commercial. Because their clients really want the new iPhone when it comes out, right? Which means they've got to have their molds done in advance, even though that's impossible. Right. So the the supply chain is a logical place to go. I also think perhaps that there are competitors, you know, Apple's competitors want to know what they're doing. And so they're paying. But all all this stuff, then eventually it just sort of leaks around the edges. And you end up with these YouTube videos that are like somebody speaking not in English posted on a YouTube site or even like on a Chinese um, social network. There was an iPhone 6 video on on one of the Chinese social networks that got reposted to YouTube. And, you know, yeah, it's not Mac Rumors paying these people. It's not Mark Mark Gurman isn't paying these people. It's a... it's it's the it's the people paying like who are much more closely attached to the supply chain and they just they really there's a business advantage to knowing in advance. Yeah, definitely. Uh and it's crazy. It's it's really kind of nutty. Um yeah. wood, wood seem- iPhones with gold volume rockers. It, yeah, let me take a sponsor break and I'll come back to right. it. But the point I want to come back to, I want to tell you in advance because I often forget by the time I get to the end of a sponsor break though, is um that most of them don't turn on but then all of a sudden like in the last two days we're starting to see ones like you yeah. said there's like a, apparently a fully working 4.7 inch one that actually turns on and, and runs ios 8 which is crazy but right. um i'm gonna tell you about our friends at igloo longtime sponsors of the show igloo is the intranet that you'll actually like uh, and they have a super exciting release that's brand new it's called Unicorn. Um, we've talked about their Unicorn update on the show before. It has a ton of new features, but the best is integrated task management that will change how you stay on track with your work. Igloo tasks can be assigned in different ways depending on the way on the work you're doing. One of the coolest ways to use tasks is creating them directly on your content. So you're requesting updates on a graphic that somebody on your team is working on or a text correction in a Word document. You create these tasks right on your content in the Igloo interface. Uh, And then when the designer goes to update the graphic and they go through Igloo to get to it, the task, what you want changed, is right there on the same page. So when you're viewing content, even if it's a blog, if it's an event, a forum topic inside your Igloo, the tasks are all right there. So the stuff that you need to be done is right there attached to whatever it is, wherever you go in the Igloo system. Um, Go find out more. It's a great stuff. All the other stuff about Igloo is all still true. All sorts of great templates to choose from. The fact that it runs, uh, it's your private internet that you get to run. Uh, The fact that you get to start for free for up to 10 people and just use it. Unlimited time. Uh, where do you go to find out more? This is it. Igloosoftware.com slash the talk show. Igloosoftware.com slash the talk show. Great, great internet. And now they're really, with this task stuff, really making it into a project management system for your small teams um, and organizations. So my thanks to them. So... In the past, we've seen these leaks come out, and then they always uh, – I think there was one about a week or two ago where it at least turned on to the point where it showed the connect to iTunes. Right. Right? Um, and it was funny because somebody then took, uh, like, screenshots of that and, like, kind of estimated the measurement of the graphic because the graphic had, like, letterboxing at the top and bottom. Um and a rough estimation 
is that it was it might be very very close to the the size that I predicted a few weeks ago, um, which I think makes sense. That in other words, it's the same pixel per inch as the iPhone five and five S, but just they just cut it to four point seven inches. Right. Um, but now there's ones coming out that are actually fully operational Death Stars. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know enough about the production cycle, but I would imagine very late in the game they're producing. First off, they're producing like uh, test units, and then they're the uh, you know there was a story about how iPhone shipments were already filling uh, planes going yeah. from China to North America. Um, so you know, at some point they're making them. They haven't announced them yet, but they've got to get them here and they're and and around the world. If, assuming that they're going to drop them in a lot of countries in a couple of weeks, they've got to start shipping them now. So once that, I mean, then the genie's completely out of the bottle, and it's got to be a lot easier to to pluck something off the production line. And there's probably an earlier wave that are like the 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 production models to see if the process works and if the quality level is high enough and those probably leak. So these, there's probably a life cycle and I've never really thought of it this way of life cycle of leaks where, you know, it starts with all the suppliers and in the end it's the assembly and right. then it's the, then it starts to be working models. Yeah. I think, I think they must be making the real ones by now. Yeah. They got, they've got to be given the volumes. I mean, we were talking about right. how huge the iPhone volume is, how much demand there is on day one, right. then they've got to be making. And that's why when I saw that story about, about how, you know, there are already lots of Apple shipments coming from China that it, it's got, you know, it's completely believable because they've got, you know, let's assume that in less than two weeks, they're going to be on sale. They're going to want to fill the channel with as many as they can possibly make. And so, yeah, they're making them now. We don't know, even know what it, what they are yet, but they're making right. them and shipping them. The story I saw, I'm sure you saw the same one, is that they've actually, at right now, they've consumed like a majority share of all shipping capacity coming out of China. Right, right. That like, Apple, Apple is literally like filling the channel, and not it's not like its channel. It's like the shipping channel from China to the right. U.S. on planes. It's crazy that the, yeah. you know, there's only so many planes. They're not going to. They, they can't. It's not the sort of thing that you can uh, buy more scale planes. Up. <laughs> yeah, right. Because right. <laughs> and it wouldn't make sense for the shipping industry to have enough planes to meet this particular demand, and right. then and then the other forty-seven weeks of the year they're sitting inert you know, right. in airplane hangers that, you know, right. Uh, it, it also, I, I wonder sometimes about like a build to order. Cause sometimes, you know, you order on Apple's website and you can actually see it get shipped to you that you'd actually, if that, if that's going to be an option, you, you want to ship these early. Cause these are the ones that are going to retail. And that at some point, if they turn on pre-orders, those would be shipping from China, let's say. Right. But, uh, you know, you now, now is the time to fill the, the channel with the ones that are just in the standard standard configs or maybe they're all standard configs and they've got every single one possible but um you know they're they, what they're doing is they're filling they're filling warehouses they're filling capacity and and we know that apple usually can sell every single one that they've got and sometimes people are angriest when they can't get the model they want so right. it makes sense but it, it's mind-boggling again we talked about the scale of iphones and how it's hard to understand just how huge the iphone is and i think this fits into uh, wearable expectations and how i think people uh, expect more than than it can possibly deliver because it's never going to be, I think, an iPhone. Like the iPhone is enormous, so enormous that we could take every bit of shipping capacity from China to the U.S. and and Apple is doing it right. Right, now. and I don't know that there's any product that they could make that would that that that. There's no other product that I can imagine that 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 would happen for. 
No, there's no other product category. I mean, this right. is this is this is uh, there have been some really nice pieces written about this, but it's this idea that uh, you know, some somebody actually said you could write the disappointment story like six months ago about the wearable, no matter what it is, right. because people are going to say. Um, if the expectation is that it's literally another product category like the iPhone, that's not going to happen because right. there's no product category like the iPhone. The smartphones in general are enormous. This this huge class. It's a it's a, a shift in how the world uses technology. And you know, and and with Apple's product line, you can see it. The iPhone is just it dwarfs everything else they do, and that's not going to change. There's not going to be uh, another category in the next year or two that supplant it or match it even because it's it's just completely out of scale because there's such demand for for smartphones. Yeah, I and I think it plays into. I haven't written it up, but I, I well maybe I will. but a lot of times I talk about it on the show and then I don't write it. But um, I've been thinking for months now about and I, I for years I've been bothered by the whole smartphone versus phone distinction and that it's so misleading and that you know Apple's percentage increase in smartphones um, versus like how many more they're selling year over year versus their share of the smartphone market. Right. And they're very misleading things because the smartphone market is gr- even though Apple's iPhone business has been growing steadily every single year, mm-hmm. the smartphone market has grown even faster overall. And that's simply because all phones are turning into smartphones f- at a, a ridiculous rate because it's getting so cheap to make something that would qualify as a smartphone. Right. And it's really just this bizarre distinction to me. It's it, it it's like dis, like a distinction between phones with black and white screens and color screens. Like <laughs> like my you know my first cell phone had a black and white screen, and eventually even the cheap fifteen dollar candy bar phones had color screens because eventually the color screens got so cheap that you know that they could do that. It didn't make sense to talk about somebody's share of the color phone market even though for a while those phones were more expensive and thus more profitable because you know for a year or two they were like an exotic crazy thing like look the crazy little java game i play on my phone is in color now right right what were those members of some of those games like the quicks or whatever oh yeah i had one of those that was on, on like a sony ericsson where it was terrible I had a I had a bowling game that was like my go-to bowling game i had a bowling game on my old nokia um you know, and Horace Deju and others who were more analysts, you know, more rigorous statistically than yeah, the I number, am, you know, the number guys, right, have explained it, you know, in painstaking detail that it's, you know, it is interesting that that the smartphone market, the percentage of all phones sold that are smartphones, is growing faster than any one company's share of that market. Um, but really, like to me, it's just the, we should just start calling them phones, and yeah, that a well, phone is a thing that's a computer in your pocket. So my daughter, uh, when, when my daughter went to middle school, we got her a phone, and it's a and it's not a smartphone, and and yet I think by the standards of maybe four or five years before that, if not less, it would have been considered like a super featured phone because it doesn't. I think it doesn't have data but it has a full blackberry style texting keyboard. I mean, it's not just like numbers. It's got a whole uh, you know, qwerty keyboard on it and it's got a color screen and it's got I think you can install, I think it might even have some software you can set up or install. And and it's not a smartphone as we consider it, but it's not that far off and that was 3 years ago. 
So I would imagine, and she's, you know, we're going to end up putting her on our plan and giving her my old iPhone 5, I think. Yeah. Uh, but, but you know, so when my son starts middle school next year, I mean, at what point is that phone, I, at some point very soon, it is just easier for all concerned if that is, you know, if the, the fo- cheap phone they offer for kids is the cheapest Android phone that they've got, rather right. than some weird, just having to maintain some weird other platform of these dumb phones, they just at some point they'll just give up. At right. least in the in in you know the U.S. and and some other uh, the, of the richer countries, and at that point there won't be anything that isn't a smartphone. Yeah, and it's it, so there's like two interesting things that fall out of that. The first is that if you go back to 2007 and you think about the iPhone and the name iPhone, that it undersold the device vastly because yep. it really wasn't a phone. It was a, a computer an internet connected computer in your pants. It yep. was amazing. And it happened to also work on the s- standard cell phone network and make and place phone calls and let you, you know, for example, one of the key features of that first one, huge part of the demo was visual voicemail because, it, and, and what did that do? It let you deal with your voicemail the way modern graphical computers deal with messages. Right. Right. And so at first calling it, a phone or the phone or the iPhone was really selling it short because it wasn't what we thought of as a phone. It was, it really truly was what we think of what we then thought of as a personal computer. Whereas now low these seven years later, when we say phone, we mean, we don't mean a device that's just for <laughs> phone calls. We mean a, a computer, right? Right. If you say, I, if somebody says you get, you know, you arrive at a restaurant, you've a group of friends and you, you, took an Uber and you get out and somebody says, Oh, I left my phone in the car. You know what they left in the car. Mm-hmm. They didn't leave a cell phone. They left like an iPhone or some, an Android, it, whatever it was, it has apps and stuff, you know? Yep. Nobody, when they say I left my phone in the car means they left a, a device that only makes phone calls and text messages. Well, and as landlines die, the whole concept of anything else a phone could be just disappears. And, and, and phone is not perhaps the best term to use for these devices, but I kind of feel like it's the one that, that it's, you know, one of those cases where the word evolves to mean something completely different, but because it's supplanting the thing that it, 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 right. it took its name from, then that's right. what we'll call it. And at some point people are going to be like, this is weird. Why do we call it a phone? And somebody's going to say, well, actually, let me tell you the story yeah. of the 20th century and the phone, and that's where it came from. Yeah. And people be like, wow, I don't even, you know, why Why would you do that? And the answer is, well, it was a, a series of small steps, and at no point did somebody say this isn't a phone anymore because we had to explain what it was to people who, who their entire frame of reference was the concept of a phone. Because, you know, I, I mean, talking on the phone is like one of the least interesting things that I do on my iPhone, at least common. <laughs> it's the least pleasant. It's the only yeah. thing. It's I the took only- it out of the dock. I, I finally got shamed. Uh, I think maybe even by by you. It was a conversation on the on Twitter. I think, and I realized why is the phone app even in my dock on my iPhone? I never oh, I have use it. it. Of, I have it out of my dock. My yeah, dock, I took it out. My dock is Messages, Vesper. There's an ad, Safari, <laughs> and Tweetbot. That's honest though. Vesper really is in my in my dock. I have Mail, Safari, Twitterific, and Overcast in my dock. Very close. Very Vesper's close. Vesper's down there, but it's not in the dock. Yeah. But but yeah, I, I yanked the phone out because because frankly, if somebody calls me, um, I don't need to launch the app. And if I call somebody, I know where I know where it is, yeah. and I call people so seldomly. But yeah, so I feel like the name is going to be phone now, <laughs> right. and I doubt it will ever change. We'll just call them phones. Right. But phone doesn't mean what it 
meant. It, it's the way language evolves. It evolves yeah. in ways that the um, uh, well, computer it? is a terrible word too when yeah. you think about it. <laughs> yeah, true, true, very true. Uh, what's the, the 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 great divide in like dictionaries is prescriptivism versus descriptivism. Right. Whereas, should a dictionary prescribe here is how you should use all of the words because here is what they mean or should it describe here is what people mean when they use these words and in some cases you know maybe you know with italics say this is an in this is informal you know or this is slang um but you're just describing the use of the words and sometimes those informal uses of the words are used so much that they become a new sense of the word. And I think that's where we are with phone, where maybe for the first couple of years, calling the iPhone a phone would, uh, in, in dictionary terms, be informal. you know. And people who knew what you were talking about would get it. But I think we're at the point now where it's like time to add a new number to what does phone mean and you know, a new integer and like meaning number four. Right. Uh, pocket computer that is connected to cellular networks and Wi-Fi and can um, install apps. Right, because it's, it's, it feels like the ship has sailed. We're not going right. to suddenly say, okay, everybody, stop on, on January 1st, we're going to stop calling them phones <laughs> and we're going to call them, right. you know, p- communicators or right, something. It's, and, just, it's and, too late. And the prescriptivists will fight it tooth and nail all the way down. Sure. But it doesn't matter. That's it. Language is like water. It's like trying to stop running water with your hands. It's going to happen anyway. But the point of all the point of this, the whole reason this inspired it is your point about how big the the iPhone is and the phone market is, is that the phone is the and thinking of it as a phone, not thinking of it as a smartphone, but just going to phone, meaning a cell phone mm-hmm. is the only thing I can think of on the planet where almost everybody who could have one does or will yes. have one yes every uh, you, you could argue that it will be the first piece of high technology that will be in the possession of i don't know 90 percent of the human beings on earth because you look at the way this technology is is uh spreading in parts of the world that are not traditionally high-tech societies places that are poorer um like Africa as a really great example um, where we've already seen like uh, wireless technology leap over wired technology because you don't need the infrastructure that right. you used to need. Um, and, and, and the internet at some point will be their experience with the internet will be in a phone screen, not on a computer, but in a phone screen, because that, that is a device that is going to be cheap enough to reach them, going to be able to attach via the wireless network that, that is going to be available. And, and as a result, will be more transformative uh, as a whole. I mean, we can think about how the Internet's changed all of our lives and computers and all of that. But for like the average human being on planet Earth the phone is going to be the thing that is transformative because it's going to reach way more people. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting. I think it was on pace for that before 2007, but when it was just voice and texting. Right, then it was but, a phone, <laughs> right. not a phone phone. And I think it was phone. already on pace to, you know, if there's 7 billion people on the planet, and I don't know, I, I might be missing the mark on how many people are are you know very elderly or babies right or very 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 truly truly poor um but let's say five billion of them could have a cell phone 
it's getting very close to the point where that's true, you know, where there's, mm -hmm. you know, billions of cell phones in use and everybody's going to have one and everybody, because of the nature of the thing that you're banging it around in your pocket, even if you take care of it, you know, every couple of years, you're going to get a new one. Right. It's not going to be like your, uh, uh, you know, like TV sets where people buy TV sets and use them for 15, 20 years. Right. Uh, cell phones maybe, aren't like that. Maybe eventually, but it, they're way too well, early. Well, not now. Right. Yeah. Not right now. It's way not, too early. Not in the year, you know, the, the world we live in where every year there's a new iPhone, you right. know. So the size of this uh, market is, I, I, I truly wonder if it even really occurred to Apple, you know, in 2005, 2006 in the run up to the iPhone. Just how big the potential is there? I don't know. I mean, on one level, I think they had the vision of how this was a big deal and this was going to make a difference. But it, it, you'd have to really be, you'd have to buy in all the way to really believe like this is the future. And 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 yeah. I don't know. I kind of feel like that's that was so far away at that point that they couldn't really, you know, you could you could maybe dream it, but you couldn't really see it. And now you can see it. Yeah. But back then, it was more like, imagine what would happen if we could pack all this stuff in there. And then the right. world saw that and said, oh, well, this is it. And now every device in this class uh, follows their lead. And now the world is is changing. Because that was a moment where, like, like you said, you know, sure, we could have said f 5 billion people are going to have phones. But what it would have meant was they can call somebody. And yeah. now it's they can be on the internet <laughs> with that device. I still think it's interesting. And I remember this this clearly is that in, in that initial keynote, Steve Jobs, he gave goals for what they wanted. And he said, we would like, you know, with by a year from now, we would like to have 1% of the phone market. Right. And it was, and that's what he said. He didn't say 1% of the smartphone market. He said 1% of the cell phone market. Mm -hmm. And that's one area where I truly think that Apple and Steve Jobs clearly got it. Because what was then called a quote unquote smartphone was not it, Apple had no interest in that whatsoever. They saw exactly. that as it, it was just as much garbage as the plain old non-smartphones that came before it. You know, it wasn't worth thinking about. It was worth thinking about just plain phones because a phone is something everybody will have, and everybody mm -hmm. only has one. Well, and so the real question is with with the wearable stuff: uh, is that what they're thinking? Which I think I think is the right thing to think. Which is not how do we get how do we address the smartwatch market, <laughs> right? right? But thinking can can you think of something bigger that is more addressable than than because you know I I have a Pebble and I I actually wear it most days and I, think I can it's vouch fine. for that. I have seen you wearing your Pebble. Yeah. And I think it's fine. I, I like the notifications on my wrist because it means I can ignore a lot of notifications that I would otherwise take up my phone. But, you know, it feels like I used to have a Palm Trio, right? And I think you might have had one, too. Um, it feels like that. It feels like a thing that's cool and interesting, but it's a kind of a hack. And in hindsight, is going to be seen as the thing that happened before the real thing. I didn't have a Trio. I had the um, handspring visor. Oh, the visor. All right. So well, I was the before it even had, uh, like, internet. Right, but I was right. real into it. I did. I gave it like a Palm full. OS. Yeah, yeah. I gave it like a full year where I was taking all my notes on it and syncing my stuff over. I forget how we serial. Yeah, I think. I think it was like a serial cable. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's the 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 Pebble feels like that to me. It feels like the, yeah. It reminds me of my trio where where it's like it's cool at the time, but I I'm under no illusion that this is the end product of this category because it's not. It's an early adopter, let's experiment, and it's exactly the kind of product that Apple would never make because it's not really a product for regular people. It's a product for people like me who want to, 
you know, try it out and think about what this might mean. But uh, and like that, there's it's cool new tech, but it's not it's just not good enough. And the trio was kind of like that. It wasn't really good enough. It was a weird it was a PDA attached to a cell phone and it was not good enough. Uh, you know, but it was ahead of its time. It wasn't. Wait, oh, definitely. It was right? It was cutting edge. It, was it just, had to happen first. It, right. You know, somebody had to think of it first before you could get there. The, yeah. You know. Exactly. Um, well, let's take a break. Let me take a break, and we'll come back to that question of how big and where I think the wearable thing is going. Um, but let me tell you about our second sponsor, and it's our good friends at Fracture. F-R-A-C-T-U-R-E. Fracture. I feel like with my voice, I, I, I'm not enunciating that clearly. Um, here's what Fracture does. They were a sponsor a while back. Maybe you remember them. You send them your picture. They print it super high quality on glass, and then they ship that rack to you. It's not a picture framed in glass. It is a piece of glass with the picture printed right on it. Best way I can describe it is that difference between – like the old iPhones, when it looked like a touch, you know, there was this piece of glass over the screen. And then when the iPhone 4 came out and it looked like the pixels were actually on the screen and that they, you know, it wasn't two pieces laminated together. It was like one piece. That's what they do at Fracture. They actually print the photo on the glass. And it's a really cool effect. It looks so much better than a picture underneath glass. Very, very cool. Uh, they have all sorts of sizes available. Everything from little small things for your desk to big things that you can put on the wall. Uh, they ship them to you in a really cool thing. And you don't even need to frame them. The picture itself can be hung right on the wall and it just looks cool. It's just this piece of glass that is a photo that you can just hang on a wall and they look great without a frame. You don't need to put a frame around them. Really great. The whole thing, what you buy, what they ship to you, you just open the box, you can put it right in the wall and it looks great. Great idea for gifts. I am totally going to steal this idea from Marco Arment, uh, who on last week's ATP mentioned that every time uh, he makes a new app, before he sells it to somebody else, he uh, celebrates <laughs> by getting the app's icon on a 5 by 5 fracture, and then he hangs them up on his wall. Uh, so anybody out there who's like a developer, uh, great idea. And it looks great. I have seen them on Marco's wall. They look beautiful. So you don't couldn't, you know... That's sort of an edge case, but it looks great even if it's not a photo. Uh, it's just really, really great. We have a bunch of them here in the house, and they're some of my favorite pictures. Um, where do you go to find out more? Easy. Their website is FractureMe.com. FractureMe.com. And if you use this code, the talk show, you save 5% off any order. Just boom. You just save money. The talk show. Go to FractureMe. Send a couple pictures, get a couple back, see what I mean, and then like by Christmas you'll be ordering everybody in your family fracture pictures. It's a great service. Uh, back to the show. So how how big is the wearable market? I don't know. I, I honestly don't because here's what I think. I think I think if anything, if it's big, it might be sort of the opposite of the iPhone, where the iPhone has been this, like, here's one new iPhone a year. Here's the iPhone for the next year. If the wearable thing is big, I think it could be like there's 15 different wearables from Apple to choose from. Hmm. You know, and maybe collectively they're pretty big. 
and have a range in prices, but that it might, you know, so for example, just, you know, just think about the old iPods, you know, when the iPods were big and there were, you know, four or five of them, right? There was, you know, a little nano size thing, a little clip on thing that didn't even have a screen. There was like the main regular one that was sort of midsize. And then there was the big one, the, the, you know, and I they still have that lineup. We just don't get excited about them anymore. Right. But it could be that sort of thing. And, you know, one or two of them are watches and one or two of them are something else's and who knows. Yeah, I I uh I mean I don't really know what to think about this market either other than you know the caution that it's not going to be the size of the phone market cuz nothing is and the feeling like it's going to be an accessory. Like it feels to me like this is a device you know, if there is something on your wrist, it's a device that's meant to work with the iPhone. And, and that, that actually makes it logically part of the iPhone event to talk about it, that the iPhone is the center. The You know, it's a little bit like the old digital hub story that Steve Jobs told back in 2000, except the center, the hub now is the iPhone. The iPhone's with you all the time. It's got the, the high-speed connection. And then you can have something like this, whether it's one sensor that's on your wrist or whether it's a constellation of different things uh, on your body and in your house and wherever else. Um, and they all, you know, talk to your iPhone and your iPhone collects the data and relays things to the internet and all of that. But, um, you know, it doesn't feel like, you know, again, it feels like a, it's about accessories. It's about adding on, um, not about a category that is uh, breaking, I don't know, entirely new ground. You know, it's hard to, it's hard to even think about this because it's so intertwined. It's, it's technology and it's fashion. And, uh, and I do think it's going to rely on the iPhone to, to some degree. So this is the question of like, how many of these are going to be sold? Uh, how many, how often is a person expected to buy one of these? If you buy something and put it on your wrist, are you expecting to have it there for a year, two years, five years? I don't know. Yeah, and you know, it's funny. I've in the same way that I've avoided using the phrase iPhone 6 or try, I've tried to, you know, wherever practical. I've avoided I've certainly avoided. I think I've never used the word iWatch. Yeah. Uh that's good. and I've tried to avoid calling it a watch. I've been calling it a wearable. Right. And I knew, you know, I I know for a fact that they're working on a, you know, some sort of wearable stuff for a while. But I didn't know any more than that, and I didn't want to assume watch. And I heard some people say it's a watch, and I thought, all right, that's a possibility. And obviously, there's a lot of companies in the last 12 months that have been active making, you know, smart watches. Um, but all that said, it seems like in the run-up to this event, there's suddenly a lot more smoke, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of, you know, my – by uh, triangulating these rumors, I I often just subscribe to if there's enough smoke, there there's got to be some sort of fire, and there's an awful lot of smoke specifically that it's a watch or two watches, I guess is actually where you know, I think uh, Nick Bilton, I think from the New York Times it, has said that, or was it Brian Chen? I yeah, it it looks like we're at the point now where it's it's um and Jessica Lesson, le it's leaks and counter leaks, yeah. and and that some of this is is about Apple. Um, this late in the game, it's also about Apple trying to set expectations. So I yeah. think I think definitely there's so much smoke here that there's no way there isn't isn't fire of some yeah. kind. Um, but if it it really is a watch, and I think that's still even right now, you know, and like I said, there's an awful lot of people who are listening to this podcast, pro possibly after the event. So <laughs> enjoy. But as you and I are speaking. <laughs> on Sunday night. Yeah, we don't know. I still think if it's a watch, boy, the word watch has so many 
expectations. Like people yeah. buy a watch, they do not expect to replace a watch every two years. I right. mean, people buy a watch and they expect that thing to last. And if it's expensive, they really expect it to last. Mm -hmm. You know, and there was a leak, I forget who had it, that, you know, somebody said that Apple's considering a $400 price point. And that makes me laugh in one way and it makes me think, hmm, in another. Because if it's true that it's 400 or they're thinking about 400 then I think it, it's not an accessory, right? I think 400 bucks, you're in the range of something that's sort of got to stand on its own. Well, I, it, I don't know. I don't know what on, that... It depends on what accessory means. I mean, it may just right. be that to, to get on the internet and things like that, it really needs to talk to a phone or a Wi-Fi connection or something and not be its right. own little cell phone. But, but yeah, it's more than it, it's more than an impulse buy. At 400 yeah. it you really have high expectations of what that device is going to do. The part that made me laugh, though, was the, the 2010 Wall Street Journal story about Apple's tablet efforts that said that they're considering a $999. Oh, yeah, $1,000 iPad. That's where right. my that's where my thought went too, which is it, it right. almost feels like an attempt to set the bar high. So when the real price is revealed, everybody is relieved. Well, <laughs> I remember at the iPod there are I there I did it yeah. uh, the iPad intro original iPad intro, and they were like you know the whole spiel you know it's got to fit between this and this and there has to be a reason for it. it has to be better than anything at this and it all made sense and it they showed it and it was like it wow that looks great you know I. Cannot wait to see this. I'm a, this looks super exciting. This looks really cool. And the whole time I was thinking, it's got to be $999. Look at it. It's like a Mac, you know, yeah. and it's super thin. And I know that making it that thin is expensive, right? It's like this thing is cooler than any MacBook. It may not be faster than it because I know it's running ARM, but it's cooler than any MacBook. It's got to be $999. And then when they, you know, the starting price was $499, I remember that that room, it, it was. It it was easily the biggest moment. The most exciting moment of that event had nothing to do with the actual iPad, even though there was lots that was exciting about it, and lots of it. Most of it had had been completely secret. But when he when they dropped that price, it was jaw dry. I mean, people gasped, right? And it, not just because the device was cool, but because that nine ninety nine number had come out, and the Wall Street Journal ran it. Yeah, everybody was doing those, uh, you know, beard scratching. Yeah, you know, well, what does it mean? Will people buy it for nine ninety nine? And that was yeah, like yeah. it was all framed around that price, and and that's exactly where my mind went with uh, with uh, this, this wearable rumor. Is like, is that a right. real price, or is that the um, the the price that gets out there so that when they announce that it's really three hundred, instead of saying, "Wow, three hundred is a little pricey," you say, "Oh my god, I can't believe it's only three hundred. Right. I don't know whether or that's true or not, but it, it has that feel to it, right? Right, or even you know one ninety nine. You right. know, and then all of a sure, sudden it's like, knows. wow, people are going to get in line for it. Because, right. you know, uh, electronics aside and the gadgetry and the, the all the health sensors and stuff, presumably, that the thing has. Um, but Fitbits don't cost that much, you know. Right. I mean, there's not um, – you, you can't buy like a Rolex for $199. But you can buy what most people would consider a pretty nice watch for $199. Yes. You know, it's it's again, it's not jewelry. It's not true luxury. It's mass market luxury. Uh, it's like yeah, that I have sweet a, spot. I actually have a uh, um, a watch in my Amazon shopping cart, and because I was thinking of replacing my old watch, and it, it looks pretty nice, and it's thirty bucks. And then my wife actually instead bought me a watch for our anniversary at at like Macy's or something, and it's a very nice watch, but it's 
it's probably a $150 watch. It's not. Right. Yeah. You know, you can go to, yeah, you go to a store like Macy's and, you know, look at it. So for, you know, at those prices, Apple could make, you know, a, a profitable device. Um, but it's a lot more than most people have spend on watches, you know? Right. So it's, you know, so somebody who does collect, you know, Rolex or Omega or whatever watches might think, well, 199 that's not really a luxury watch. But most people would think, wow, this is going to be the most expensive watch I've ever bought, but I can't wait to have it. Mm-hmm. Um, I could totally see it that way. I don't, you know, I don't know. It's a it's a strange, and the, the fact that Apple has hired all of these uh, people who come from like luxury brands, yeah. um, it, it makes you wonder on one level, and yet sometimes I, I think we take that too literally. It's like you know, because on on a grand scale, Apple is a luxury brand, and that having them having them at Apple doesn't necessarily mean that they're making a, a, a you know a thousand dollar gold uh, smartwatch it, right. it, it doesn't follow that that is the case but i it does make me wonder you know especially since this is replaceable technology this is not stuff that's going to be valid in seven years or five years maybe or four years even um what this product is and because because if it's a luxury product and it's beautiful what's its shelf life how long is a reasonable amount of time like i have my dad's rolex that he bought in uh, Switzerland in the sixties, in the early sixties. And it, you know, I, I've had it like cleaned and stuff, but he gave it to me a few years before he died and it's uh, beautiful. And, you know, it's from 50 plus years ago and works fine. These things are not going to be like that, even if right. they're great and made with wonderful materials and that the leather and the metal and all of that is good. The electronic stuff is going to be surpassed in a year. Yeah, and it won't be interesting. Like you, you are not going to be able to pass that down to your son. No, and have it be interesting fifty years from now. No, it might it's be an interesting true. like history item, but it's not right. going to be something you would wear uh, for a night out. Right, and think about this now. Now, circle back to the discussion we just had about how the word phone has taken a new meaning, and it doesn't mean you know to like what our parents mean. My my dad, you know, thinks a phone is a thing that's connected to the wall. Yeah, and right. It's how he, it's and got that's that how little he, curly cord. Right, and it's what he uses <laughs> to talk to me about baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same exact thing could happen to the word watch, right? Where right now today, a watch means this thing like you're talking about, like where, where you talk about a nice watch, you're talking about a thing that your dad could have bought in 1962, and which is like still in perfect working order yep. and serviceable. And has enormous emotional resonance with you mm-hmm. because, you know, he's, he's not with us anymore. That's you know? right. And there's he had this it for thing. 40 years, yeah. Right. So now it's, it's it, you know, it's a priceless artifact, exactly. right? Uh, the watch could take on a totally new meaning that evolves past that where even it – and it could happen quickly because look how, happened, how quickly it's happened with the word phone. Right. Where even 10, 15 years from now, watch – doesn't mean that anymore watch means computer on your on your wrist right computer on your wrist with an expectation that it's collecting data about your health and it's uh, telling you when something important is happening and yeah it could it could do that um i think i I think that's what makes this story so fascinating is because again we're looking at something where we've seen some companies try this and they've done some interesting things they're definitely interesting 
the pieces are all there for something interesting, but there's one, the question of how you mix them together. And two, is that thing then something that people actually want? Because I, I talk to a lot of people who say they don't wear a watch or they stopped or they never wore a watch. And right. so what, what do you have? If is Apple trying to motivate people to strap something on their wrist and, and what's the value you get out of doing that? Well, it's, I, see, that's very, to me, that's a super interesting question because is it better for you to be a watch wearer already and then Apple just has to convince you to get their watch and replace yours with theirs? Or is it better if you're not and you've got an open wrist? Right. Watch right? doesn't mean anything to you, right? Now. Well, y- right? You've got an open <laughs> wrist. They don't even have to convince you that your uh, that the Apple Watch is better than your fossil watch that you've been wearing for a while or right. the Rolex that you're wearing, you know, that costs 10 times more. Um, if you have an open wrist, maybe it's a wide open thing because it's solving an entirely different problem. It, it's, you know, your, your fossil watch or your Movado or your, you know, Omega is primarily t- just telling you the time. And maybe that's not even what the watch does. Like, that's one of the things I wonder. Like, all these other smartwatches start with the idea that, by default, you just look at the screen. Or, like, with the Pebble, you have to turn it on. Well, I, no, the Pebble's always you know, on. Right, it is always on. But you have to do something to make it light up. If it's if Right, it's if it's not. dark. Right. Right. But primarily, the first thing it's doing is telling you the time. Yep. Um, so and what if that wasn't the baseline? What if... No. Right. What if that's not the baseline? What if it's not like that? You know, and there's rumors that it has that this Apple thing has a color screen and that it's going to run apps and that's probably running, you know, iOS. Um, and there's no way there's no way Apple's going to do a black and white display. No way. It's impossible. Um, so if it has a display, it must be a color display. And all these other ones like the, the Moto 360 you know, came out this week or shipped this week finally. Right. Uh, and the other Android Wear phones have come out, and their default watch faces are skeuomorphic representations of what we traditionally think of as fine watches. Right. Right. And at least in pictures, they look like, wow, that does look like a real watch. That's kind of interesting. Or that looks nice. People say they look nice. To me, they don't look nice. But, and, and you know, and I think I've still not seen an Android wear one in person, but I'm pretty sure if I saw it in person, I would think it looks like a nice watch in the way that like the iPhone calculator used to look like a nice brawn calculator. Hmm. It didn't look like a nice brawn calculator. It was, you know, just a piece of glass and it had like the buttons on it. It might've been a cool, it was a cool, I thought it was a cool way to make a calculator app for the iPhone, but it never would have interested me and fascinated me like if somebody said, hey, by the way, I've got this 1972 Braun calculator that was my right. dad's and that I would think, ooh, look at that. See, it's the uncanny valley where you're trying you're trying to be a thing, to simulate a thing right. uh, so hard that it ends up being weird. The Pebble's like this too. The Pebble faces that I use are not at all attempting to look like real watches. There's like the one with the words – and there's the one with like a little animated face on it, but it, like a like a cartoon character face, but but not like the the their actual like this looks like a real watch face. Those are awful. I can't, yeah. I can't even look at them because they hurt my eyes because they are aping a real watch and and they're fighting they against they're fighting against what the Pebble is good at 
and right. fighting it in a direction where one of the things the Pebble is good at is unlike a lot of these things, the Pebble actually gets reasonable battery life. Right. You know, you can wear it for a couple of days at least. Uh, I can get week. six days out of it, I right. think. Right. Which is way better than all these other ones. Right. Um, and part of the reason they can do that is that they have this really low resolution. <clears throat> I think it's like 160 by 160 e-ink display. Yeah. Um, so it's never going to be able to look pretty nope. in a way that a watch looks pretty. But then, you know, they just use like the words or something like that. Right. And those look good. But when they when they uh, and yeah, it's, it's not a, a very good display, but they still tried to ape like a watch with hands and it looks terrible and i think that i think that's an interesting point of what if what apple tries to do is not trying to make it look like uh you'd mistake it for a swiss watch but it's a new and this would be a very apple thing to do is it's a new thing that you put on your wrist and it might even tell you the time but it's not trying to be mistaken for a rolex right it's just not what it's trying to do right like imagine 2007 Steve Jobs says, here's the iPhone. He takes it out of his pocket. The crowd's going nuts. And it, it would, before he turns it on, it looks like the, it, exactly the same. It's a black piece of glass. And he turns it on and it turns to the phone dialer. Right? right. That would have been, cause then it, that, that's using this thing to make it look like whatever we all thought of as a phone, a thing with a, you know, a, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, zero underneath, a red hang up button, a green call button, mm-hmm. and I don't know, like a star button underneath where you would hit the star button to then access, you know, the other stuff. Yeah, or imagine that the dialer is the home screen and if you right, press that's the, exactly, if you that's press what the I'm button, right. then it'll show you it'll slide up a thing that shows you apps. But like the default is dialing. Right. That's exactly what I was trying to, to <laughs> yeah. say. Like that the home screen is a phone dialer because yeah. that's a phone. And that to me is what all the smartwatches have done so far, mm-hmm. where the home screen is a, a analog wristwatch with an hour hand and a minute hand. And, and they're all, you know, and, and the people who are praising like the Moto 360, the people who think it looks good and, you know, some of the, the Samsung ones that just came out. They're doing it in a skeuomorphic way, that, you know, aping fine analog wristwatches, which is exactly the opposite of everything Apple has done software-wise in iOS right. 7 starting a year ago and with Yosemite coming up imminently. Oh, and do you want to compete with those devices? I mean, and this is going back to your point of like, is the is the wide open space of people who don't wear a watch or don't think about watches a, a better place to go to than people who love watches, uh, which is an interesting idea. But I like the idea that, um, you know, you don't want to compete with a Rolex because you are not going to win. You, you, you know, first off, you're not a Rolex. You're, right. The resolution of your screen and the, your battery life is never going to compete with that Rolex. Um, but you do have some other things going for you. They're not that. So don't be right. that. Be, some, right. be the thing you are. Be something else. Right. That's exactly right. And you can compete with the Rolex on what the thing looks like on your wrist at a distance. Sure. You know? It's that sort of thing. Nice materials and, and all of that, but it's not the same device. And you know, you're not you're not just trying to create a computer that ends up being a watch, right? right. Why? In the, in the <laughs> same way that every iPhone ever made, especially all the ones other than the 3G and 3GS, but you know, the original one, and then back with starting with the four and going through today, they look like nice devices in your hand even before you turn them on. They're just to me aesthetically pleasing. Mm-hmm 
pieces of material. Um, and they can totally compete on it. I just think when it comes to the face, whatever it is, whether it's a square, whether it's a, a Band-Aid strip type thing or a circle, I don't know. I don't think Apple would do a circle because I think it's, I think, I think a circle is way too skew. I think just having a circular screen is skeuomorphic and, you know, mm-hmm. it, it anchored in the world of watches. I mean, that's the story Motorola tells of how they came to a circle. They, they did like a, they, they admit to doing like a focus group where they asked children, what do you think a watch looks like? And they said a circle and they said, okay, we'll make our thing a circle. And it's like, you're asking them what it should be based on the thing you're trying to supplant. Right. Right. It's like, imagine if Apple had decided to make, start with the iPhone and ask children, well, what does a telephone look like? <laughs> It's got push buttons and uh, right. They didn't. They weren't going to say it looks like the uh, the monolith from two thousand one. Right. Well, this right? is this is the old faster horse thing, right? Which is that you know, do you want to just is your idea of the next thing the you know a, a better version of the old thing or is it something that's completely different? And I think yeah. I feel like you know people again who have listened to this afterward can laugh and laugh, but I feel like that's what Apple ideally would do is throw all that away and say, if we're going to do a wearable device, what we're not going to do is make it um, pretend to be the old thing, but instead start from zero of like, um, you know, having something on your body has a lot of benefits. It's easier to glance at your wrist. And this is one of the reasons I like the notifications in the Pebble. It's like, people always say, well, you've got your phone in your pocket. It's like, you know, my wrist is way more accessible than my pocket. And, and yeah. w- women who often have to carry their phone in a bag, you know, again, their wrist is way more accessible than the phone that's tucked away in the bag. So that's a benefit. And being on your body and being able to do things like read your heart rate and 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 uh, sense your movements, um, all of that is an advantage to being on there. So start with the advantages of why you'd want to be on somebody's wrist rather than start with a watch and yeah, work backward. Never- Never underestimate how much the stuff that you've just gotten used to is actually a huge pain in the ass. Yeah. Right? I'm sure when indoor plumbing came, you know, that there were people who were like, oh, my God, put a thing I'm going to crap in right in my house? No way. I'm t- you know. You're going pi- to put water pipes all throughout right. the house and, and drains? Do you realize how much right. harder it's going to be to make a house when you do that? <laughs> right. Exactly. And then, you know, it's... Of course, of course, you don't want to go out in a, in a little d- dirty box in your backyard to go to the bathroom. Yes, there are very uh, few outhouses anymore. Yeah, very few outhouses anymore. And, you know, that's one thing. Uh, I was just talking to somebody on Twitter, just like a random reader who was like, uh, hey, if the, if the watch has NFC and admit, you know, everybody's excited about this stuff. If, if you know, it, it, he was like, I know it's a big if, but just go with me. If the watch has NFC and is part of this payments thing, then it's got to have touch IT too, right? Uh, and my answer was no. I think it definitely wouldn't have touch ID because touch ID would be ugly because it's got to be, you know, reasonably fingertip sized. And there's nowhere on a watch to put a fingertip sized thing that's just for you to put your finger right. on. Right. And it's already touching your skin. And I know that's not your fingerprint underneath there, but I, I, my guess, my just random guess, I don't know. If, but I just said there's got to be some other biometric thing that it could maybe do to create an ID um, because I don't think it would have that. Uh, and then there were other people who like chirped in and they're like, it doesn't need a touch ID because you'll have your iPhone with you and that has touch ID. So then you can just take your iPhone out and use that for the touch ID part. 
Well, then what's the point of having yeah, the thing on no your point. wrist? Right. right. There's no point. Don't underestimate how much of a pain in the ass it might be that we'd have to take our phone out all the time. Yep. Right? That's, uh, to me, the key to this, you know, having the thing on your wrist. Like, all of a sudden, maybe we start using the iPhone less. Well, yeah. I mean, if you wave, if you imagine going up to the, at the drugstore with your bottle of soda and your, or, or you're like a you know, milk jug because you ran out of milk and just like waving your wrist like boop and walking yeah. out or and then eventually presumably you know with with RFID just walking out <laughs> right and you get charged for the milk and that's it then you know that yeah that is that is easier than pulling it out of your pocket it's marginally easier but over time even marginally easier is easier and right. and it, it it could be it could be um you know marco uh Arment linked to uh uh, site of one of these like mock-up sites and it was the it was the only um round watch thing that i've seen that i thought i i thought i liked and i'm not saying that apple would do it but the one thing that intrigued me about this site is that it was suggesting using the watch metaphor as user interaction and what i liked about it was the idea they had actually said it may not even be a touch screen that you if you if you're going to have a round device you could use the ring kind of like the click wheel you could actually use the ring for navigation perhaps you push down or tap uh, and you can spin around and then there you might even have like some wheels on the side i i doubt that apple would do it but i thought that was kind of an interesting idea that um i hadn't really thought of before which is could could a device like this um, not be driven by swipes and taps on a touchscreen, but some other, you know, in this case, it was spinning, essentially turning a dial, turning like, like sort of like the old iPod. Um, I, I thought it was really, it wasn't something I'd thought of and I thought it was really interesting. I kind of feel, I think like, like you do, that they're much more likely to just kind of walk away from the traditional watch interface and not try to make a, a watch that looks like a watch, but is actually not, but instead yeah. make a new thing. But I thought it was yeah. an interesting idea of like the other part of Apple's history, which is this kind of circular navigation thing that I guess if Tony Fidel were still at Apple, maybe that would be the direction. Well, I don't go. know. I, I, but I wouldn't be surprised though. Like it seems to I, there's a great idea in there and it may not be going back to circle, but I think the right idea is just because we've gotten used to this doesn't mean the next thing is still going to be this, right. right? So we got used to the command line with our Apple twos mm-hmm. and then the Mac came out and there was no command line, none. Yeah. There were no way to issue commands through the keyboard. Right. <laughs> it it truly was. And I know that the people who are born post Macintosh cannot you just can't fathom it. A computer was a thing that when you turned on, you got a blinking prompt yep. and you would type computery things and they could be dangerous. First time I know? saw the Mac, I thought, how do, how do you write programs on this thing? And right. when somebody tried to explain it to me, I was like, I don't understand how that could be. It just, it doesn't make any sense how there could be programs on this. Well, that my thought when I first saw the Mac was, how do you do something? How do you do the things you need to do that this, I, th- I was infatuated with the graphical user interface but you know, to me, it was like a game. It was like the 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 interface was a game that let you play computer. Uh, and I was like, well, when you need to do something else, how do you do it? If you don't have a, if there's no way to close this, I want to close this and get back to the black screen that has a <laughs> has a prompt. Yep. You know, it's, it's and I was there. right, and I remember thinking like, oh my god, and what? Are, how are we going to deal with those spaces on the file names when you're on the command line? Um, I don't think I'd ever seen a system that had 
backslashes at that point. Or if I did, I'd never learned it. Um, right. And then, you know, there was none. It's, it's, this is a new thing. And with the, um, this is uh, actually kind of how I feel about the iPod Nano, by the way, right now, which is that it it is a weird product that is does feel like it's aping uh, yeah, badly I do think that. the iPhone. Yeah. yeah, because it's not iOS. You can swipe and tap, and it, right. you when you tap, things happen. It's just it's not right. It, it's, no, here's a here's a really great example. So a great example to me is the original iPod, and we had handheld devices, and they had like navigation, and it was up and down, left and right, right. It was joystick style or mm-hmm. up, down, up, down. And all the music players to date used that. And the problem, the biggest problem was it had gotten to the point where it was easy to have a thousand songs. And going up, 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 up a thousand times is just no good. Mm-hmm. You can't do it. And holding the button down, it just, you don't have enough control. So that wheel, it, it was genius because it had speed. It was, you know, it, it was completely under control. You could flick it. And all of a sudden, you had this new thing that we'd never used before, but it was really useful, and you could use it to navigate literally thousands of songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and then, you know, flash forward 10 years, or actually, it wasn't 10 years, six years. Uh, can you believe that? Yeah, the, the that's iPhone amazing. was only six years after the iPod. Six years. And, you know, we all went in thinking that the iPhone was going to be that gag slide of a click wheel with a phone on top. Right. Uh, no. So I, yeah, I do kind of think that, and I think the nano shows that like you shrink the size small enough and your finger covers the screen, you know, and it's, it's a problem even on an iPad. It's always a problem that your finger covers what it is you're touching when you touch. But if you shrink the screen small enough, you can't compensate for it. You know, like on the way that the, the perfect example is the way on the, the standard iPhone keyboard, um, do you love how I now have to refer to it as that the standard iPhone yeah. keyboard? When you type a key, it shows you what you typed above your finger. It flashes right. up. And that's an affordance for the fact that you can't see which one you're touching because it's underneath your, your thumb or your finger. On something the size of a watch, there's no way to afford that because your thumb covers over half of it. Exactly. So I'd, I would not be surprised at all, even if it has a very nice color display that it is not a touchscreen because I don't know that touch is right at all for something that size, especially if it's small and especially if there's a, a, you know, a version that, that women would want to wear or people with smaller uh, wrists would want to wear at that point, you either get these devices that are huge or you get something that's smaller and there's no, there's no touch target left, at least, at least touch in the sense of, uh, tapping objects on a screen. I mean, it's possible that you could do something with touch that is, you know, swiping up and down on the side or something like that as a as a, a movement. But it's not the same as like I am going. I see a thing and I'm going to touch it with my finger and then it'll do something. Yeah. Be- below a certain size, you just can't do it. And the nano is sort of there where it's almost pointless to navigate because you can really only touch on one. Maybe there's a couple things, but it's like, what's the point? Think about the previous generation nano. The one that was turned into a watch with the TikTok oh, yeah. and stuff like that. Um, and which I've mentioned before on the show that if your smartwatch, actual smartwatch, doesn't look better than a, than a previous generation iPod Nano, which wasn't designed to be a watch, right? on the TikTok, which was a Kickstarter project, mm-hmm. then you've got a serious problem because that wasn't meant to be a watch. 
<laughs> and some of these smartwatches don't look as good as my three-year-old Nano on a TikTok page. Right. But I do that on that size touchscreen. It's a real problem. I I never know what to do. Yeah, they got like two buttons you or four buttons you can tap, but it's just right. and the swipe area is very small. Right. And it just it's not. It's a nice try at unifying your product line if you're Apple and saying, look, people are used to right. this, so we'll do it. But it is not. If you were designing that in a in a, a vacuum, you would not design it that way because it doesn't it doesn't fit right. And so I I wonder about that whether it's whether it's um something like what Marco showed me that that is this it's circular and and the ring is like the click wheel or it's something that is a rectangular and you're not expecting to touch on the screen but but there's some other interaction i don't know it's just, it's an interesting interesting problem and it will be interesting to see whether apple leans on the side of a new interaction or whether they try to make it feel as iphone like as possible i i just can't help coming back to the idea that it, what's happened is Everybody in the industry has gotten the ability to make these. I'm just going to call them iPhone-like devices, right? Right. There's and everything post PC that we've had, Android, Windows Phone, whatever you want to call the OS. And there's, you know, I'm not saying they're all copies. I'm just saying no, they're all derivative of this idea of a touchscreen and a Unix-like operating system running on a real computer under the hood and uh, a real operating system on top where you can put apps and stuff like that. And we've gotten to the point where everybody can make one now that is small enough to be called a watch and maybe not a small watch. In fact, all of these things are kind of huge by the standard of watches, but we can make them like Dick Tracy watch size, which is a remarkable achievement. And I think that all of the enthusiasm you do see on, on sites that are reviewing them and giving them positive reviews, even though they seemingly have glaring, problems in terms of just is it actually useful and is it actually a good product i think it's just general excitement of holy crap you can have a computer on your wrist yeah it's a technological achievement it really is right i mean just you know you and i are if not identically aged we're very close in age you go back to the 90s and tell jason snell and john gruber that you're going to have a unix computer running on your wrist in the year 2014 and I'm gonna. I'm thinking, holy shit, we're having jet cars and jetpacks too, right? I mean, that's crazy because a Unix computer in you know 1993 was like a a room. Yeah, you know, I, I, it, it was like a refrigerator. I'm imagining like uh like uh, one of those uh, wrist things that like Space Ghost had. That's like the size, like doubles right. the size of your wrist. It's like that's what I would think. It's like, well, it's going to be huge, and why would you put that on your wrist? Not right. thinking, you know, how how could it be? These are mainframes. These are like more computer than than right. a computer and you're going to have that in my in, in your pocket or on your wrist that's crazy right. talk and so just because you can build it it's cool that right. you can but just because you can't doesn't mean that that's actually a good form factor for that and it's exact same well, as the, thinking the nano and the and the tiktok and the lunatic i mean showed that right it's like you could do it it's not right. that good but you could do it Right, and it's exact same thing of why didn't the original iPhone run the Mac OS, where you drag little windows around and you have a file menu, you know, a menu bar at the top. It would have worked at some level conceptually, but it it definitely would have been a you know would have been a bad idea. Yeah, I mean, we would have bought them, or we would have reviewed them, and it might have been some cool things you could do with it. I'm sure they would have you know scaled the things up. It wouldn't have been like you're trying to touch a tiny little twenty pixel thing at the top. 
but it you know it just wasn't the right interaction model right. i just can't help but think that that's where the wearables are but everybody else is is stuck thinking that they should make a tiny modern cell phone on your wrist and nobody would want you don't, you don't want to you don't want a phone that small Right. Well, I mean, yeah, I think I think no no sane person would want a, a phone that small. In fact, I, I think that's actually a strong argument. I wrote a piece about this a while ago that the idea that um, I don't want I don't want something on my wrist to be a phone. Right. Like, I don't I don't think it's the right place for a phone. I, I wouldn't if you could say you don't need to carry your iPhone around anymore. I'm going to strap this thing to your wrist and it's your iPhone. I don't think I would want that because it's so it would have to be so small that the way you interacted with it would be difficult. And, you know, this is why bigger phones are more popular in the rumor is that Apple's going to have larger phones. So what goes on your wrist you know, is it, it, it's that real estate is great, but it's different. And, and I don't want it to be the same interaction because it's not the same. It's not only in a different place on my body, it's, it's strapped to my wrist. So I've got to hold my arm in a certain way to get to it, uh, which also means it's one handed operation because I can't bend my other hand right. back and it's tiny. So it's not, you know, the rules don't apply, even though it's convenient to say, hey, it follows the same rules as your phone. It, it's not the same place. So the rules should not apply. It's a different device. Yeah. Uh, let's come back to that idea of a big ass iPhone. But at first, I want to tell you about our third sponsor and it's our good friends at Hover. Hover is the domain name registrar uh, that doesn't suck. And these guys... I, I I repeat it every time, but it's such a scummy industry, and it's 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 like going into the bad part of town. Usually, when you go to a domain name registrar, Hover has been around forever. They've always just been an honest company. They may not be the cheapest. I'm sure you could go somewhere else and register a domain name for less. Uh, that's not what they're trying to be. They're trying to be the best, and they've been in business for a long time. Uh, and they have so many great features. The best one, the best thing that they have, in my opinion, is uh, their customer service and what they call valet transfers. They make it easy to manage all your domains in one place. And so let's say you've been registering domain names like a dummy since the mid-90s, every time you have a goofy idea for a domain name. I'm not looking at anybody in particular. That sounds familiar to me. Yeah, it probably sounds familiar to a lot of you who are listening, right? And you've got them registered all over the place. And every time they come up for renewal and you get the email, and you think, oh, my God, I've had that thing since 1998. But it's still such a funny domain. I better keep it, right? It's only 15 bucks or whatever for a couple of years. But they're all over the place. And you've got them registered at you know three different places. And some of them you don't even like because they're the bad businesses. And you go to the website and it's terrible. What you can do is you go to Hover and you sign up at Hover. And you just give them your information for the places where you have your domain names registered. And they'll take care of everything in terms of moving them over. And even if you have them hooked up and they're in use and you have it pointed to a, a silly, you know, single purpose website where you're making a joke for one of your friends or something like that. It's not just moving the domain name into your name and putting it at Hover. They'll take care of everything with updating DNS and getting it all pointed the right way so that everything is just seamless. And then when the DNS updates, all of a sudden your domains are registered at Hover and all of your sites just keep working. And these guys, they know this. Like I, I, Every time I have to do anything related to DNS, I panic because it's so easy to screw up because I don't deal with it on a regular basis. Whereas that's all Hover does is deal with domain names. Amazing 
amazing stuff. And it, here's the best thing you can do. If you can find somebody, find one of your friends who has domains at Hover, they will tell you, I, they'll say, you're nuts if you don't move over because it's it's that good. I have 15 domains at Hover now. <laughs> I might <laughs> have a problem. Them, how many of them in actual use? Oh, well, if you can't read, I, I have a lot of them redirecting where, you know, you buy one right. and you're like, oh, but I could get the .co and I could get this alternate spelling and I could have them all redirect and all of that. I, I, and I, a couple that, like you said, are the jokes where it's like, right. oh, how could I not? We did this. In the 200th episode of The Incomparable, a guy said that wrote in. He said we hit him in the butter zone, and we just <laughs> just started laughing. And we we that we went with that joke for a long time. And I realized I could register the butter dot zone. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I did. <laughs> I'm embarrassed. Oh, see, but that's I had even to do funnier. It. See, that's what you can do now with these wacky new top level that's domains. Right. Is instead of going the butterzone dot com, now the entire domain is part of the joke, and there's no superfluous non joke part of the domain name. No, it's a hundred percent pure stupid joke. Oh, now. and they've got all those, and that, and they're totally on board. That I, I probably should mention that that they're you know with all these goofy new um, top level domains, you can do that. Yep. Uh, you know, I think I think there's a marco.coffee that everybody should check out. Probably registered through Hover. Uh, all sorts of stuff like that. Use this code. Here's the code for the month. It's uh, Chowder, C H O W D E R. That's that's their in joke for uh, daring fireball readers. Uh, and go to hover.com and find out more. My thanks to Hover. Uh, so I would smoke so much smoke where there's fire. Yep. The thing with two iPhones, four point seven and five point five inches. There's still a lot of people out there who are skeptical of it. I don't know for a fact anything. Nobody tells me anything. I'm telling you, it's got to be true because somebody would have leaked. Don't don't expect a 5.5 inch iPhone by now no. if there wasn't one coming. I agree. There's too much. It's like what we said about um, a couple of these topics earlier. That you know, Apple Apple doesn't leak all this stuff. They and they don't like that it leaks. But one thing Apple does do. And, and, you know, you know this and I know this and certainly like the Times and the Journal know this is Apple does leak to manage expectations because they are in risk of uh, at risk of being harmed if people go into an event uh, expecting things that are totally not going to happen because then they'll be disappointed. And so sometimes you will see these stories where it'll be like, look, it's, they're not going to do this. Or, or uh, what we saw was, look, it's probably not going to be out until next year, right? Just like, yeah. don't get, don't get your hopes up that it's going to ship next week. It's probably not yeah. going to be out until next year. And I feel like since they haven't said that, like you said, they haven't said, no, 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 there's no bigger iPhone. It's not going to happen. Um, that it's probably going to happen because they probably, it, it, the, the buzz is so large. Probably somebody would have batted it down if it was totally yeah. untrue. Especially at this point, days before. Yeah. Like, and that's why I think there's a bunch, you know, there does seem to be a spurt of stuff coming out. Like, um, Brian X Chen, this might be the thing you're talking about. He had a piece in the New York Times yesterday, um, where among other things, uh, he said that the new bigger iPhones have a one handed mode, right? Which is a thing I made fun of on the Samsung Galaxy Note right. a year ago, which was, you know, well, how in the world do you use these giant phones? Um, with when you're only holding it in one hand, and you know the Samsung Galaxy Note had a thing. I forget how you engaged it, but then all of a sudden it just put like the equivalent of like a regular four inch phone in the the lower right corner of the phone. Huh. And I I presume you could also put it in the lower left if you're left handed. 
But then it just, you know, and then all the other, there's like a big L-shaped letterboxing around it. I have no idea. Chen does not describe the one-handed mode of the the new iPhone. But I would not be surprised at all if that's true, because 5.5-inch phones are ridiculous, as phones right. as we know them. Uh, you know, I've used the 5.5-inch or something very close to a 5.5-inch Nokia uh, when I was at Build, I've said this before. It is a fascinating device. It is, you know, it seems very intriguing. I think an Apple iPhone that was that size will sell huge. I don't think a majority of people want that, though. I think the people who do are going to love it. But one thing, it, there's just no if, ands, or buts about it. You know, like when um, when the iPhone grew from 3.5 to 4 inches, which was minimal change in size compared to what we're talking about with 5.5 inches. Um, there was all sorts of stuff in the event talking about the features in the OS that help you so that, you know, yes, now it's harder to navigate, but we have this edge gesture where you can swipe back from the left to go back. So you don't have to hit that back button all the way up in the top corner. Like there's no way to, to mitigate this with, you know, little software tricks like that. If you have a 5.5 inch display on your phone, even if all of the surrounding area is minimized to the most possible degree, it's still too big to use in one hand. You have to hold it in one hand and use it in the other, mm-hmm. and there's no way around it. For many people, that's not that's I, I that what I'm. I don't think it's a deal breaker. Obviously, if Apple's shipping it, they don't either. Um, it doesn't mean they shouldn't build the device. It just means in the world of trade-offs, people are willing to have X, Y, and Z bigger video games that are bigger, better battery life, which I want to come back to in a second. Um, And they're willing to give up. I'm able to use the phone in one hand, or if Chen is right and there's a mode, they're willing to invoke what I think is good. Even if Apple does it, it's going to be silly. Sure. It's going to be like, what direction are you tilted? And it's like, Oh, now it's suddenly this app is smaller. And now you can, now you can reach the, although I don't know. I don't, I don't, think about it from an iPad's perspective. I don't I don't worry about not being able to use my iPad in one hand. Yeah, but you don't walk around the city with it. I know, but I mean but this is a big device. I mean, I, yeah, I get that I get that you, you there's more need for it than there is on an iPad, but I've got an iPad mini and I I sometimes I think there is not, you know, this is an interesting intersection between this very large iPhone and the very small iPad. Where they right, well, let me put it. Yeah, let me put it to you this way: If Brian Chen hadn't written that, I wouldn't have brought up a one-handed mode with you right. on this show because it wouldn't have. Because it's such a silly thing to me that it's such a silly notion to me that it wouldn't have even occurred to me. But he wrote it. He says as a you know he doesn't say he's seen it, but he says you know sources familiar with the matter say that it's going to have it, and so given that, and I'm not saying that means it's true. I'm just saying you know it's the New York Times and. Brian X. Chen. I mean, you know, I have some issues with Brian X. Chen, but his 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 reporting when he says a source says X is excellent. You know, it's it's typical Times quality. So, like I said, it's not a done deal. I'm sure there's some kind of wiggle room out where it could be something else entirely, and it was mistaken as a, a one-handed mode. But or they tried it I, and it didn't. You know, and it right. didn't go, or and something. it didn't make it into the final version. But I would not be surprised at all. Having p- 
played with one of these devices. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they did it. You know, if there's some kind of thing, maybe it's just in a control center and you flick up from the bottom and there's a new button you can hit and it shrinks the screen to the lower right corner. I don't know. I think it would be silly, but I wouldn't be surprised if they did it. Because these phones are ridiculously big compared to what we're used to. So if you've built your usage, you know, here's how I typically use my phone. I have often using it while holding it in the same device right. you're using it with. You're not going to be able to do that with the new device. Right. I th- I think that's that's where it comes into into uh being an issue because for me, I I think about large device and I think this is basically the smallest iPad we can put in your pocket. Right. Um not the biggest iPhone. And that's not true although um I I saw on Twitter um uh, today that Steve Trouton Smith, who likes to poke around in Xcode and find yeah. weird things, seems to suggest that um, if you're if you're using a, a screen size like that and you're in landscape, it actually uses iPad resources, which is really interesting. Like it's just oh. big enough that you might be able to use an iPad view. And um, of course, then you're then you're almost certainly not doing it one handed if you're if you're turn- tilting it sideways. Um, but I don't know. I, it's a funny, yeah. it's a funny intersection. Cause like I said, I, I really love my iPad mini. Um, and I wonder sometimes about, could I get away with one device if it was yeah. bigger than my iPhone, but smaller than my mini, would it be good yeah. enough that I wouldn't need to, or would well, it that, be just bad on both counts? I don't know. That, that come back, that comes right back to that WWDC session that I've been recommending people watch. I think it's session 216, which is building adaptive layouts, right. which is Apple's terminology for flexible layouts or responsive layouts. But in their terminology, they don't call them phone width or tablet width. They call it like regular width, compact width, hmm. regular height, compact height. Um, and so like an iPad is like regular width, regular height. Like you can show the full interface. A phone is regular height so you can put like a big scrolling list but it's called a compact width um a regular iphone like an iphone today even when you turn it in landscape is still a compact width like it's not a specific number of pixels or points it just says like um a compact width even held horizontally just means hey male if you're showing a list, just show one list right. at a time and don't show the list side by side with the content. Um, whereas what he's saying, and that's very interesting to me, would be that just the 5.5-inch iPhone, if you hold it horizontally, when you're in mail, you'll suddenly see a list of messages taking like the first third. And when you select one, you'll see the message on the right, right. like an iPad. Right. Or, and that, or that settings will have a list on the left side and then the pane on the right instead of it being something you enter into. Right. And if you think about that, I, I believe that. And not just because he's he's a great Twitter account and he's very, very astute uh, hacker in the best sense of hacker in terms of it's sluicing those things out of the beta X codes and stuff. But I believe it because I think that's the message Apple has been preaching, especially this year at WWDC, is to stop thinking about iPhone apps and iPad apps. Right. And so don't think of the 5.5-inch iPhone as just a big iPhone or perhaps – and there's I have so many people on Twitter, you know, Twitter and email who think, hey, maybe it's not an iPhone at all. Maybe it's an a, a iPad Nano and it will run iPad apps. Well, no, it's too small to run iPad apps. 
it, you know, it's just, if you really, really, you know, take an iPad app and just shrink it to 5.5 inches and print it out on a piece of paper, you'll see immediately that everything is too small mm-hmm. to touch. Um, but it totally makes sense to me that if you held it sideways, that you could sort of give it an iPad-ish layout. If not, it, but not by shrinking the iPad interface exactly. You know what I mean? Yep. It's, it's just, hey, use one third of the screen for the list, the other two thirds of the screen for the content, and figure it out dynamically based on how many points there are, how big the thing should be. Well, it's like, totally believe It's that. like a responsive HTML breakpoint where you're basically yeah. the OS is saying, look, yeah. we, we say that this device is big enough that it can handle two, two things at once. And then the apps go, all right. Yeah, so I'll, I'll I'll put that up there then because the apps are already thinking about sort of like when is it too small? I mean, iOS developers already are thinking of this. It, when is it too small? When is it too big? I've got this one design for iPads and one for iPhones, and it's not that unreasonable to think. But it's an interesting idea because then you've got this uh, this phone that's sort of like a phone when it's being held in one direction, and sort of like an iPad when it's held in another direction. And I I do I wonder about the mo- the market for this um, device because when I talk to people who've written about or uh, or or, or use um, phablets. Um, this is what comes up a lot of the time: is people like it because they don't really care that it's huge. They don't really use it as a phone. Uh, you know, a, a <laughs> that word again. A, a right. you know, hello, how's it going? How are the Yankees doing? Right, because right, you do. And admittedly, let's just get out of the way. You look ridiculous talking oh, yeah. on one of these. But things. if you always talk on your phone using a headset, or you know, like I, I never hold my phone to my ear anyway. I've always got headphones right. in, and so it doesn't matter. And, right. and if you've got a Bluetooth matter. thing, it doesn't matter. And then you right. otherwise you've got the cellular connected internet thing, and it's bigger, so the so the screen is bigger, and you can see well, more stuff. And don't just don't even underestimate the fact that you know what if you're only on the phone for two minutes, who cares if you look ridiculous? <laughs> yeah. You know, get used to it because it's like I said. I think it was with Hockenberry last week. I was like, you know, people do. I've gotten over making fun of them, but people do look ridiculous using an iPad as a camera. But guess what? There's like. T- probably 2 million people right now as we speak using an iPad somewhere in the world as a camera yeah. and get over it. That's just what they do, you know? Yeah. Because they're, they're, it, it's the tool that's at hand and it works right. for them and it fits into their lives. I mean, it's hard to talk yeah. to Hockenberry about any of this stuff because, you know, yeah, he's so is... huge that this would be a nicely dainty phone for him. <laughs> yeah. He's finally going to know what, what we've thought. Yeah. He's going to, I think he's going to be so happy. He's going to be like, Oh my God, this is what it's been like for you guys. <laughs> Yeah, because right, the current phone he like just kind of holds between two fingers, and it's like, what is well, this? Well, it's like thing? the current phone for him is like what we were talking about using the the iPod the Nano. Nano. Yeah, that's right. right? And it's <laughs> how do you get your big meaty fingers on this thing? So yeah, he'll be no, happy. I, you know, I was certainly a skeptic, you know, at first when the Android phones got super big, because um, it didn't. I didn't see the appeal. Um, but, you know, I turned around and they, even when I wrote my iPhone 5 review two years ago, I said, look, the big, bigger phones are here to stay. Because I was skeptical even when I had it and reviewed it of the change from 3.5 to 4. Yeah. Um, but clearly, you know, there's desire for it. I'm still a little interested in why they went to two bigger sizes rather than keeping the four inch right. size and having one bigger size. Well, but I think, if, I think there's a question about what, if, if this is true, what happens next year? Because I, I do wonder if at some point uh, they abandon the smaller size, the five size, or do they keep that size around and, and upgrade that size with better hardware on the inside and sort of end up with, because I think we're going to end up with three sizes because they'll keep around some version of the five as their right. third product. 
that's the question is, do, is that right. a viable size going forward? Cause that would be kind of nice if they said, no, we're going to keep that size around and it's never going to be our biggest, newest, hottest thing, but we'll, we'll keep right. it around with the previous year's specs or whatever put into it. And we've got three sizes now, not two right. and the old model, but three iPhone sizes. Right. Even though there doesn't seem to be one new one of that size coming this year. Right. But they don't necessarily need to do that. I mean, they could put the right. 5S, uh, keep and it, it uh, keep it around and it's perfectly right. good or put a colorful shell on it and it's the 5SC right. or whatever. I mean, they could totally do that if they wanted to or just keep right. the 5C. Right. But I do think I, I'm predicting that the message on stage Tuesday is going to be 4.7 is better than 4.0 for the size that you're used to now. Right. And you're going to think it's big at first, but trust us, you'll get used to it. And this is the right size. And, you know, we've we've done it now because we can build bigger screens and we have bigger batteries. And that, whether it's true or not, we won't know until we, you know, get to use them. But they're going to, I think they're going to pitch the 4.7 as, you know, yes, it's bigger, but it's bigger only in good ways. Right. And then they're going to say the 5.5 is an altogether different experience. Right. It's, for, and, it's for people and they'll tell a story about who it's for. And right. you got to get, you got to credit a company like Samsung. And I, I can't believe I'm saying that, but, but follow me here. You know, Apple, Apple is a company that picks its spot and they, they looked at the bell curve and said, this is the right size phone. This is like, if we can only make one, this is the one, because this is going to fit best. And what Samsung did, because this is what Samsung does, is they made a phone like every size possible right? just to see what would happen. And one of the things they discovered, it's like a scientist like looking for a, a, a planet, like an exoplanet, right? Where, where you're looking at data and you're trying to find some signal in the noise. And I feel like what, what Samsung did was look at that chart and say, well, okay, people like phones... There's a bump around where the iPhone is, and there's a bump above it. People do like the bigger screens. And then there's this weird thing that happened over here with the Note, which is there's another market for that. And it's not as big a market as that smaller phone. It's not. It's a weird market. It's more of a niche, but it's a it's a big niche. It's bigger than we thought. And, you know, that is something that maybe, you know, until somebody tried it, nobody would know. And, and to Samsung's credit with the Note, uh, they tried it and they found it out and and it's led everybody else to realize, oh, you know what? It's weird and not what we thought, but some people just want to have the huge phone. And yeah. and 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 so Apple uh, going into that market doesn't necessarily mean it's uh, Apple's failure, because I do think Apple's strategy all along was like, look, we're going to pick the size and then later we'll deal with spreading out the product line. But it is uh, at least in part because. Um, Samsung went there and uncovered this market that was unexpected. And, um, you know, Apple, because Apple's already got the iPad and the iPad mini, Apple's not in a bad position to, to try that now that they are spreading it out. They would never make yeah. that their only phone, but, but yeah. adding it in, it's just, it's none of us looked at that. I mean, we all laughed at the note, right? It's like, why right. would you do this? And it turns out some, it works for some people. So yeah. here we are. But so full credit to Samsung for, you know, doing the old t-shirt cannon just covering yeah. the whole landscape and, and figuring it well, out they certainly they certainly had the first big ones that were hits um but i remember noting i don't know three years ago when when a lot of android phones started going past the five inch mark right right because in between four and five was bigger than the iphone but i i played with those devices and yeah you noticed that it was bigger but it didn't seem huge and then five to me is the marker where it once you're past five, that's a really big device. Um, 
and a bunch of Android phones went over there. And they and the thing that I always noticed is that this they didn't have four inch models too. They only had the big ones. And I believed then, my theory then, and I still think it was true at the time, was that for a lot of them, they did it because it was the only way they could get a reasonable battery, <laughs> battery life. That they big. made the screen. And the screens weren't super high res either. No. You know, they made them big and they weren't super high res. I mean, they weren't necessarily bad. But it, it just didn't seem to be a lot. I, I just, the fact that they didn't have iPhone size ones, even though the iPhone was by far and still is the most popular size smartphone or phone, if, if I'm going to follow my own mm-hmm. advice, um, it just seemed to me that they had to go big. And the reason I could think that they had to go big is that they needed the battery. But then I think a side effect of that, as Android evolved to, to software wise, you know, take advantage of that because the other thing too the first ones they just blew the android interface up it was just you know uh, an interface that was kind of designed for the original size androids which were about the iphone size and they just blew it up but and i think that might be too where samsung does i can't believe i'm saying it does deserve the credit where (laughs) i think that the reason like the note was popular was that the note had software that was meant to be on a 5.5 inch screen. Right, it had, the, it had their all their crazy stylus stuff, right? Because they right. stuck a stylus it, on it. Right, and it hit a, it hit a segment of the market that wanted it, and it was a different segment, you know. Yeah. And it's a totally reasonable. So I do think factor one is yes, there are some people, size, enough of them that it's a, a market worth going after, who really and truly want a bigger phone for whatever the reason. Doesn't matter whether it's for games, whether it's because they watch a lot of. TV, you know, video, YouTube on the phone. And undeniably, if you're watching YouTube or baseball games, in our case, on a phone, the bigger the screen, the better. Yeah. No doubt about maybe, it. If that's maybe a- it's like big businesses also have come to them and said, you know, we want to buy units for all of our people who are in the field and we want it to be big and full featured because we're not going to get them a, a, a tablet. We want the, them out there without a tablet, without a laptop. Yeah. They're going to have one and we want it to be bigger. And Apple listens to those guys and says, oh, wow, there's a, a sale opportunity there, too. I don't know. It almost doesn't matter why. You can almost just abstract it and say, look, there's a bunch of people who yeah. want a bigger screen for these reasons. And so they get the bigger screen. And secondarily, and I think this is huge, and I, I would not be surprised if this is a big part of the message on Tuesday, is that making the phone that big, yes, there's all sorts of other trade-offs with one-handed use, et cetera, et cetera. But all of a sudden, you've got this enormous room to put a battery Right. Oh yeah. And so there's there's like a battery team at Apple, right? And you know that these guys, and they've even been featured in the videos, you know, like when they've talked about the reasons why they've stopped making replaceable batteries and MacBooks and stuff like that, and about taking every single bit of space that they can get to, you know, mm-hmm. put more battery in there and smarter batteries. Um, there is a team at Apple that have, works on you know iPhone batteries, and when they, I think when they were told, okay, here's how big we're going to make this this phone they were like oh my god that's so beautiful right well and, this and, is the greatest day of my and life i feel like those guys are doing an algebra problem and have been from the beginning that they've been solving for what apple considers sort of like optimal battery life and that that if you've noticed over the years with the iphone the battery life doesn't change very much and right. obviously the capacity changes a lot and the the energy consumption of the device changes a lot but in the end what they quote as battery life doesn't change very much and so it's very clear to me that they're they're solving for that battery life like that's what the number we want to hit that's acceptable battery life and people who really use and abuse their phones say it's not enough and i've got to have a backup battery or i got to put it in a case but apple's like 
decided this is this is what we can fit uh, as a balance that works for us. With these new phones being larger and especially the very large one, that's one of my questions is, is this, do those battery guys uh, say, finally, we can do we can we can also address this other issue, which is if you want your iPhone to last for two days uh, or a day and a half or whatever it is, twice what it can now, this model will be able to do that. That's what I and I think that's I don't know if it's going to be twice, but I do think it's going to be something like, hey, this bigger fun, maybe they won't tell us how much but, this particular number. But it's but not going to be another ten hour battery, right? Presumably, right? No, I th- <laughs> and I think so. I think the four point seven inch one will come out with iPhone as we know it like battery right. life they'll solve for and, that number again right and the five will use the same amount of energy for everything else because i think it's going to have the same cpu the same mm-hmm. camera the same everything else except this bigger screen which i also expect to be even higher resolution and so i and i, I think they can do that and have it only consume um maybe like 20 percent more power maybe 30 percent more power than the 4.7 inch ones screen, but they're going to have way more than 20 or 30 percent more room for battery. Right, because the way more just the volume when you do the math of volume of one of these devices and you yeah. add that much screen. I mean, it doesn't seem like a lot, but when the other dimensions are so small, you add that extra right. screen and the volume is just vastly larger. Right, and so when people have said, you know, like in disputing my projections on the the displays of the two phones, well, if the one goes 3x, the other one has to go 3x. Uh, and I think one of the big reasons that it can't, because you can find a 3X resolution for the 4 that would solve all the other problems I brought up about the tap target sizes and the mm-hmm. scaling factors and showing more content. You can definitely do it. The problem is that one would take 20% more power. And they don't have more room for the battery. And have no more, 0% more room for the battery. And I think they'll, maybe they'll get there eventually, you know, just through the way that everything gets more efficient over time. Um, but I feel like right out of the gate, side by side, one of the main features of the bigger, the 5.5 inch iPhone is going to be amazing battery life, at least amazing by the standards of iPhones as we know them. And so I think that actually is going to create a second class of people who want the 5.5 inch iPhone. I agree. First class, first class is who we said before, people who want the bigger screen, even if they had the same battery life, even Mm -hmm. side by side, they both get 10 hours of battery life. Well, a whole bunch of people want the 5.5. But I think the second class is if it gets 18 hours of battery life instead of 10. Yep. There will be people who get it and they'll say, damn, this thing is big. I don't <laughs> like this. This is big. But wow, I need this battery life because they live on their phones. Right. And they'll be willing to put up with it. And that might be why they're putting in like a one-handed mode. Hmm. Right? Because there's, I think there's, to me, just you know, sucking all these last minute rumors in that to me makes sense that maybe there's a one handed mode only on the 5.5 inch phone. I don't think the 4.7 inch phone will yeah. need it. I think they're going to maybe, maybe even if this is all true, they'll even say the 4.7 inch phone doesn't need it. And we know it's bigger. We know it's a little harder to use with one hand, but you could definitely still do it. The 5.5 inch one, you can't. And if that's what you want to do, here's how you do it. But I think the battery life is going to draw people in who otherwise would never have bought the 5.5 inch one 
Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think that's going to be part of the story. It's like you want more screen, you want bigger battery life, all these things. We have a model for you now. Here it is. And uh, that may also speak to those that that business scenario of, you know, I've got somebody out on the road and I want to set them send them there with one device and yep. you know and it's got 17 hour battery on top of it so this is it yep. you take this out in the field you whatever you are cable repairman or yeah, yeah whoever oil industry guy or wh- whatever those you know those those enterprises exist so that's another market for it i agree because otherwise if, if all that they're selling is well you know bigger screen whatever it's less compelling but you know there are the battery is one of the very easy bits of uh, math to do and say, well, you're going to have more room for battery, and the components are not going to be larger. So, of course, there's going to be more battery. Yeah. I think that that one device angle is a huge part of the the 5-point-whatever-inch phone craze. You know, that it's for people who don't want to have a tablet yeah. and a thing, or don't even want to take a notebook, you know, a, a MacBook and a phone with them. They, you know, maybe, you know, maybe it's not the only computing device in their life, but maybe it's a desktop computer somewhere sitting on a desk and a 5.5 inch phone yeah. and that's it and if you're they're away from the desk you know where they can run photoshop you know or xcode or something like that that truly needs still needs like a real mac uh everything else one device right and i think that's exactly what this device is supposed to be i mean it's great if you're somebody like like us who's got an iphone and an ipad and a and a, and a laptop but i do talk to people who who say I'm not going to have a tablet and a phone, right? Yeah. Especially since the tablet isn't isn't subsidized, so they've got an iPad, but it's an iPad two, and they don't know when they're going to replace it and all. But they get a new phone every other year, right? So for them, uh, this is a better deal potentially if if it can can fulfill what they would use a a tablet for. Um, and enough for them to get by without needing the tablet, and it could, it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, you know, in terms of any kind of skepticism, because, ah, oh, but this, what, you, you guys are trying to tell me that Apple's going to make it easier for someone to not buy both an iPhone and an iPad? That doesn't make any sense. Of course they want them. They're, you know, they're a capitalist comp- company. I think it just gets back to that whole lack of fear of cannibalization right. in Apple, where, as long as you're talking about not buying a second Apple product, but you're still buying an Apple product, we you're t- double thumbs up from Tim Cook to you, as opposed to somebody who's buying a Samsung Galaxy whatever that's five point five inches, because that's when it's a problem. Yeah. when it's not an Apple I, device. I also think there's the confidence in knowing that this this is a niche um, market. This is this is not the mainstream. That they're going right. to sell more of the smaller phones, and they're going to sell more iPads. Uh, then you know they're not gonna the 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 most common scenario is not gonna be everybody stops buying iPads and small iPhones and buys the right. giant iPhone. They know they know that's not gonna happen, and so this audience is not being served by them right now, or at well, least not being served well by them. Right, and I think that they have confidence knowing you know from decades, you know multiple decades of the Mac that a wide range of form factors and price ranges is just fine. Yeah. And doesn't necessarily cannibalize anything, you know, that the fact that there is an $899 MacBook Air, which is an excellent computer, doesn't mean that the 27-inch iMac is going away. Well, and actually, something that brings up, too, is I I don't know what they're going to name these things, but um, I've started to think of the iPhone and, and 
think of it a little bit like the uh, the Mac, which is I'm not entirely sure that they won't just say these are the iPhone 6 or whatever, and that there's a big one and a small one. I mean, I'm not 100% convinced that's true, but I've had people tell me, well, of course, they're going to have different names. And I think, well, MacBook Air comes in two sizes. MacBook Pro comes in two sizes. iMac comes yeah. in two sizes. The iPhone yeah. could come in two sizes without them calling one of them iPhone mini or iPhone huge. And it would be fine. It's the new iPhone, and you can get the big one or the small one. I don't know whether they'll do that or not, but they could. Yeah, I think the and it's it's funny too. Cause I'm terrible at predicting the names. I am so bad. I guess I, I should go on the record and make a prediction. But I, if I had to, my prediction would be that the 4.7 inch one would be called the iPhone Air or iPhone 6 Air. But that that to me is already a mouthful. Yeah. So I say drop the numbers and say iPhone Air. And the big one is the iPhone Pro. Huh. And I I don't like it. Well, I don't like it in a couple of reasons, though. Because one reason I don't like it is I do think they're going to have the same performance. Yeah. Like A8 performance. And does that make sense to have Air and Pro? The Pro somehow feels like it ought to be faster, but... I don't know, but I I just feel pro because they've used it before and it's more expensive. It sounds like it should be more expensive. Yeah, I, you know? I don't know if the iPhone can be pro, and but I, you're right, maybe. Well, I, the thing I can't see them doing is picking some adjective that means big. No, no, that doesn't, it doesn't, I mean, I joked about iPhone huge, but right. it's a terrible, I mean, you can't, no, if I had to, if I had to make a bet i would probably bet that they're just going to call them the iphone 6 and there's two models right um but it right. wouldn't what size do you want yeah, yeah but it wouldn't shock me if if it was the iphone 6 and the iphone air or if it was uh, no but because they're never going to prioritize the big one because the big one's the niche product so it'll be the iphone 6 yeah. or air and then uh, i just have a hard time i i think the best pro they could do but i i'm inclined to just guess that they're going to say there's two iphone 6s which one do you want big one or the little one um, right. And then, well, and the other thing, I've seen people say that the big one will be called the I, iPhone Air, but I think they're they're myopic because they're only <laughs> doesn't make any. Well, what they're looking and at is and, well, they're looking at the they're looking at the iPads where right, the, the bigger the big iPad one is, is the, the Air. Air. That's true, right? But the other one has a name called the Mini, yeah. which puts it in order. And the Air is really kind of. It, it's sort of an in-joke, or not in-joke, but it's like a reference to all previous iPads, where it's so much lighter right. than the iPad used to be. And are they, um, and they're never going to call the mainstream iPhone the iPhone Mini. That's kind of crazy. No. Right. And they can't call a, one that's 4.7 inches the Mini because it's, it's bigger. bigger than, it's bigger, way bigger, yeah. significantly bigger. Maybe not way bigger, but significantly bigger than any iPhone ever made. Right. So they can't say, here's this new 4.7 inch screen. It's significantly bigger. It has a million yeah, more pixels so and all this shows all this. Here's how much more content you see. And it's called the Mini. No. Nope. Doesn't make not sense. Not going to happen. Uh, I have one more sponsor to read. Now I want to I get back to that. This thing about us, me and you, knowing the names. All right. All right. Our last sponsor of the day is our good friends at Transporter from Connected Data. So would you like your own private cloud that lets you securely store and share files in a way that is completely private and resistant to governmental snooping or to any other sort of unfortunate things that can happen through the public cloud services, which may or may not have been publicized recently? That's what File Transporter is. You buy a File Transporter from them, or more than one. It's a device that comes to your home. It has a hard drive built into it. You plug it in. You put it on your Wi-Fi. 
you install software on your Mac. And all of a sudden you have a Dropbox like folder on your Mac that shows the contents of that device. And you put something in the folder and it goes on the device and it's on your hard drive too. And you can then log into a different computer, log into your transporter account and the same files show up there. And then you could buy a second device and you could put it in a different location and you use the same account and the same files will go from here to there to there. But it's only there. The data is only on, if you have one file transporter, that's the only place where your data is, other than on your Macs that you log into, your Macs. If you have a second one, it'll sync between the two. The only thing they go through the cloud and their servers for is the negotiation to poke holes through, the, to set up a peer-to-peer -to, -peer to poke through the router. They don't have any kind of storage in the cloud for your stuff. Your stuff is only stored on the devices that you hold in your hand. Um, big difference from cloud-based services. Really, really appealing to many people. Um, and if it appeals to you, I encourage you, check this out. Because I don't know of any other way to do this um, than File Transporter. I have one here. Works like a charm. Uh, really good stuff. They have two ways to get one. The regular file transporter comes with a built-in hard disk. They have 500 gigabyte, one terabyte, two terabyte capacities. If you buy one, want to buy one of those, use this code, TTS, like the talk show, TTS10, and you'll save 10% off your purchase. The other way to do it is you can buy the transporter sync. That's the one that's like a little uh, Apple TV size puck. And that one, you just take a USB drive, any USB drive. You already have big hard drives sitting around. You want to buy your own hard drives. You just buy your own hard drives and plug it in by USB. So that's a cheaper gadget because uh, you're supplying your own hard drive. You could save 20 bucks when you buy one of those with this code, TTS20. All orders using either of those codes get free shipping. So use those codes, buy the one you want. Here's where you go, filetransporterstore.com, www.filetransporterstore.com. And uh, remember those codes, TTS10 and TTS20. So wrapping up the show, we've been going a long time, but there's lots to talk about. But here's the thing, I am inundated this week more than any other previous Apple event with people who think that I've already got a watch or that I've already got, <laughs> I've already got an iPhone. That's not how it works, folks. It, to mine, it certainly has never worked that way with me. It certainly never worked that way with anybody who I know, yeah. like my friends, like you in the industry. And it's also, to my knowledge, never worked that way for anybody. No, not before they announce it. Not before they announce it. They, they just don't do that. No. Like, you know, that they don't, they, you know, the whole point of the announcement is they don't want anybody, including us, to see it. And in fact, the reason they invite us to the event is that they want us to see it for the first time, specifically the way that they're going to do it. Right. Whether it's going to be projected on a screen or it's going to come out of a pedestal in the middle <laughs> of the floor, like the, I think, was that the iPhone 5? Yeah, they've used that trick a couple of times. Right, but you know yeah. the, the uh, whatever it is, lasers, uh, smoke, whatever. 
<laughs> right, but I know, and I don't know a lot about how they prep the keynotes. I don't know, you know, they're very secretive just about the whole process. But I do know that they go out, like Phil Schiller and everybody else who's in, will go out to like seats in the room and like do it again. And I want to see what it's like from here, you know. And then when Steve Jobs was was around, you know, that he would go out, he would go out and sit in the audience and see, you know, that that's how we find out this stuff, mm-hmm. you know. We don't. We definitely don't know the names, and I think my track record over the years of predicting product names should should prove that. And if we did know, we wouldn't be able to to make predictions. Right. That's true. That's true. And the fact that we do make predictions shows how little we know. <laughs> right. And if somebody whispers something to me who's not you know feeding it to me officially in any official capacity, which is always accompanied by. Um, uh, what would you call it? The uh, non-disclosure agreement. Right. Like or when an, you do get right, an embargo or an NDA. Right. right. I don't know. You know, I, I read it. I try to skim over it, but like when we do get like a review unit before, after it's been announced, always after right. it's been announced, but before it's available in stores, it's, there's a thing that says here, you know, and like, for example, you know, the, the usually it's like the last couple of years, there's an iPhone event on a Tuesday. And, um, people who get review units, you sign a thing and it says the embargo is until 6 p.m. Pacific the next Wednesday. And then the fact that at 6.01 Pacific the next Wednesday, there's 13 reviews. Everybody's story gets posted, yep. Right. That's not a coincidence. That's because (laughs) it's everybody has agreed to that, you know, and um, nobody knows anything before that and nobody is allowed to publish anything after they know it before that date. It's it, it it works. It's it's a lot more obvious how it works than you think. There is no secret cabal of people who are filled in before the event. No, because then what you'd get is you'd get your David Pogue or Walt Mossberg or whatever writing a story about the product uh, the moment the product got announced, and that doesn't happen. They, I mean, back like when the that. Uh, the iMac with the uh, flat panel screen and the arm got uh, leaked by Time Magazine, right? I mean, that, they used to do it back then, but they don't they do not do it anymore. They haven't done it for right. more than a decade. Right. And I do think, you know, and and part of it is just their their go-to market strategy. I mean, and you know, my eyes are open. I mean, I know that that's part of it is that if the thing is announced on a Tuesday and then the embargo date is eight days later on a Wednesday – and then the thing actually goes on sale two days later, mm-hmm. Friday, that that's all according to the schedule of what they think maximizes interest in the people who on Friday will go and, and you know, fork stuff over. Exactly. But I, I also do think, though, that part of that, too, though, is, is um, that they really do want reviewers to have to spend a week yes. with the device before they write it. Yeah. That they do don't want reviewer you know they they wouldn't want you to write a review to race you know okay you can here here's your here's your new iphone you can write your review whenever you want i don't think they would do that 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 happened to me with the first ipad and that was the worst because they announced that and then they did their event saying it was going to ship and there were embargo reviews that dropped and i wasn't part of that but then i got one basically the day the embargo reviews dropped or the next day and i said is there any embargo and they're like no and it was the worst because i could literally write about it immediately but i hadn't spent any time with it 
And, right. and the, I, that's awful because you feel time pressure and yet you can't actually invest the time or you have to invest the time while everybody is shouting at you to get your story done. Um, so the luxury of having eight days to think about this product is great as a writer, but it also means as Apple that you're, you know, these writers that you've hand selected are going to be writing about it. Uh, you know, they're, they're going to have time to think about it and not, they're not going to do a, uh, a, a cheap job on it. They're gonna they're gonna like put a lot of effort into it. All right, and it's not like with in your case that the boss was breathing down your neck like <laughs> you've right. got to publish it. But you, it's just the simple pressure that you know that MacWorld's readers are coming to the site and that they're reloading the homepage. Like I can't wait to see right. what they have to say and about 15, it. And fifteen, you, you know, fifteen people got it and wrote their reviews. And I wasn't in that group, but now I'm in right. a group of a, a very small number of people who have the iPad before it's right. out. And so right. I've got something that nobody except for that first wave of 10 people has has gotten their hands on. So I, I need to do something with that. But what is that? And I have no no restrictions whatsoever. So literally, I could just be like, do, 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 do. Here I am on my iPad, like live update for two days. <laughs> and nobody yeah. wants to read that. But the, the, you, you have to make very difficult decisions then. And it's certainly a lot easier to just say, I've got eight days to worry about yeah. what, what I'm going to write. Yeah, it's hard enough to do a good review in eight days, yeah. but it's it's I, I I couldn't write a review in the way that I try to write reviews in one or two days. I like I think back to the original iPhone where I you know it was I didn't get anything. I think only three or four. That was back in the days when only the the new the four newspaper guys yeah, right. got the review units, right? Yeah. I think it was Stephen Levy, uh, Ed Begg, Pogue, and Mossberg. Right. I guess Levy wasn't at a newspaper. He was Newsweek, Newsweek but, but he was on the list. He knew everybody right. from covering the iPod, and yeah, right. And it was still the sort of Steve Jobs is you know, if it's not print, it's not really real. And Newsweek, was, right? I mean, Stephen Levy is you know, it, it, he's a special case because he's awesome and has been around right. for so long. But but um, hey, the last few years when I haven't had it in advance, I mean, I've had I, I've made a little agreement with myself. Like I, I, I get the phone on the Friday or the Thursday night before the Friday sometimes, but you know, I get it. I get it basically when people get it. Um, and you know, my reviews wouldn't run until like Tuesday or Wednesday. I would basically say, I'm going to take the weekend. I'm going to use it. I'm going to write, I'm going to give it some time because there's no point. All the reviews are that, that were coming out the day of already came out two days before. So I can't beat them. And I don't want to write a slapdash one day right. review. There's no point in that. So let me take my time and uh, the people who care about getting the depth later will, will care because I've already missed the weekend. And so right. I'm, I, and I'm not going to write a crappy review. Yeah. I remember it's like, the, so the first iPhone, you know, I certainly didn't have anything in advance. I just got in line, literally waited in line with everybody all day long at the King of Prussia mall here in Philly and um, got home at night had terrible problems activating it and felt like I was ready to die. Uh, and then just banged out my initial thoughts, you know, like, you know, wow, that's, I can't believe they're using comic sans in the notes app. You know, I mean, I was excited and I think I had some interesting first observations, but it was more or less like I was publishing my notes. It wasn't that I was writing right, an article. Right. I just published my notes because I couldn't, I, I had to write something. I felt not just because I was so excited. Yeah, that's actually but it was nothing. That's actually a really good technique, and sometimes I do that too, where it's like, let me give you my notes of like first impressions, <laughs> but it's not my right. review. I'm, I'm, I still need to think about it. But here's some stuff I noticed, and then you move. Right. On. I guess. 
Yeah, I guess what I'm trying to yeah, it's one of those things where it's only use it, to me the only two interesting ways to do it is really really here's my notes and my first impressions or here's something I've taken at least a week to sort of let it permeate. Yeah, totally. Uh what do you think of the event venue moving to the Anza College whatever the Flint, the Center. Flint Center? I've never been there. I've never been I've there. Never either. been there. I didn't and, go to the iMac and, event when they held it there when they introduced the first iMac. Yeah, it was all before my time as, you know, before Daring Fireball was even existed. Uh, and there's a mysterious big mystery box, box out front. <laughs> Nobody even knows what it is. Nobody even knows if it's a building. I mean, some people think it's like like just scaffolding to cover what's underneath. Yeah, I, I think this is, I mean, people love the Apple Kremlinology, you know, everybody loves that. But I don't know. I, I think one reason is that uh, finding event venues is hard. Um, mm-hmm. In the conference center stuff tends to get booked uh, sometimes years in advance. So they may have looked for a good Moscone West time and just not found one. Or and Yerba Buena Theater is too small. I think they want they really yep. wanted to invite a larger crowd. We've there have been some reports about like some fashion industry people invited too. It's like at, at some point they they're going to run out of space for the for the press. Uh, if and if they can't get Moscone West, the number of venues in the Bay Area that can that can fit that are are limited um and then um i also know from talking to people at apple that they've always you know they're based in cupertino it anytime you do an event in san francisco there's a lot of overhead in people coming up to the city and you got to get hotel rooms and they're in the city for days at the venue beforehand right because their hours their hours their pre-event hours are so crazy they can't afford the back and forth yeah because it's at least what is it about an hour it's about an hour from if if you get catch traffic well yeah yeah but i mean yeah, yeah. unless you're going through like exactly at the commute it's hour ish right. between them so you're not shuttling back up and and down especially since a lot of times the the night before the event they're there late uh, locking right. it all down and so right. you've got um all of your people who are setting up the venue and are going to be participating are off site uh far away and that's you know it's something that they they do with WWDC, for instance, and and any other event they do up in the city. But definitely, it's an added bit of a pain that I think they would rather not do. And I'm pretty sure that they're constructing an event space in the new campus that will allow them to just do the events on campus because town hall is too small too. So I think yeah. I think it was close, and it's big. And then the structure, my guess is like literally, it was close and big, but it didn't have room for hands on area. Uh, briefing rooms, something like that. And they're like, you know what? It's better for us to rent this and build a temporary structure than it is to go somewhere else. So let's just do it. Well, because remember the one two years ago that was in San Jose? Yeah, the California Theater. Right. They've done California two, they've done two events there because they did the U2 uh, color iPod event. See, I know I, I, I wasn't going to events at that time. So I, I missed that one. Yeah. Um, that was a beautiful theater. California Theater in San Jose is beautiful. And the hands-on Definitely. area was totally a nightmare. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly where it was going. The hands-on area was like going up into your parents' attic. Well, imagine and just the- hundreds of people in a space that was like barely big enough for you to go buy some jujubes at the counter. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. It was like, here's where they're usually just selling popcorn yeah. and, you know. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't. Uh, it was... It was a nice venue, but there was Apple always likes to have one hands-on area so that the press can uh, uh, get their hands on the stuff and take pictures with Tim Cook coming out and looking at the new stuff. And uh, then they also like to have briefing areas where they can meet with the press, and that's where you you know if you're getting an advanced unit, that's where you'll pick it up. Um, and 
you know, that's a big checklist of items. And I think there's very few venues like Moscone West will do it. But my guess is that Moscone West wasn't available. Or I don't think, have they ever just had a pure product introduction at Moscone uh, West? I can't recall it. Not my time. I think they have. I think they have done it where they've literally just taken it for the day. But but it's a big conference space and they're working on Moscone. So it's very difficult to get space in something like that. Right. So, yeah, I think it's, I think that that's what I, th- I think it's, the, I'm going to go with a, yeah, a nice, simple Occam's razor explanation that they pick the venue because it has a lot of seats and they do want to invite more people. Yeah. I mean, they could have, they could have taken it to like where the San Jose Sharks play or something like that. Just giant arena of Apple. But- no, see, but they could, in theory they could, but I think they wouldn't because they wouldn't like the, the acoustics. No, no, it's and totally the- true. But right. that, but that's the difficulty in finding a venue that's like the right size for them. That's the like conference space and not sporting right. arena. And and yeah. then I think the big white box is a big white temporary hands-on area because yeah. if they've invited more people, there's going to be a lot more you know need for a big one. And the last time they tried it in a theater with a tiny little thing, it was actually a very unpleasant hands-on yeah, experience. I just that's, I don't think there's, there's any. There's so to many it. people that can get into the into the Flint Center too, so it makes it even worse. That like now you've got this big right. venue, okay, but now you really need a big hands-on area, or you're going to have members of the press waiting for hours to get through the doors by the you know get admitted by the fire marshal to get into a space. Right, and so you've got to. You, you know, the math works. As soon as the venue gets bigger, the hands-on area has to get bigger. Like Town Hall, they use the little piano lounge across the way, and that's a tight fit because even yeah. though Town Hall is small, the piano lounge is also small, and it doesn't fit. Yeah, it, it, that's not that pleasant either. No. Just in terms, and that's you know, with the overflow crowd, you know, you know, take however many people and fit in Town Hall. They maybe invite two more. Yep. <laughs> And that's it's just already too many call. people for yeah. that area. So I think that's yeah, what I it think, is. I think it's a hands-on area, and maybe they also have some like temporary uh, briefing rooms or something in there. Yeah, yeah, probably. And and maybe they have some stuff to demo that does take more physical space, home yeah. kit stuff, CarPlay, you know, CarPlay, and you know, and that all fits in. I don't think it's super mysterious, though. You know, I don't I don't think that they've built like a full scale home. You know, so I've seen people speculating that. I, don't, I mean, that's crazy. I, I they don't need to do that. They do, maybe they have some couches and whatever. Right. You know, it, I agree with you. I think there's the Occam's Razor uh, explanation is the best, which is this was a venue they could get, and the one thing it didn't have was space for hands-on stuff. So you know, and when you're playing with uh, in Apple's league. Um, and you're shopping around for venues, you look at the cost of setting up a temporary structure for a week and pencil it in. And maybe that's actually as ridiculous as it seems. Maybe that's the best deal. Yeah, that's exactly what I think. Exactly. Yeah. Now we'll embarrass ourselves. <laughs> yeah. People are listening back. They didn't realize they built an entire house under there and it was full of wearable well, devices. And- <laughs> right. But I can't wait. I can't wait because the next time I'm going to see you in two yeah. days. Le- you know, less than two days. I will see you. I will almost always run into you in the morning outside the event venue. Yep. And and if they've uncovered it and it's something else, we could just look at each other. We won't even need to talk. Nope. We'll just hide our heads in shame. Just, yep, exactly right. We'll <laughs> utter a silent apology to talk show listeners. And right, I'll have to have you right back on as the next episode's guest so that we, <laughs> what went we wrong? can apologize. <laughs> right, what went wrong? Yep. Jason Snell, thank you. 
so much for your time. Thanks for having me. I it it, it was a lot of fun. It's uh, great to be on. Uh, God, you know, I just I your voice is like butter on a podcast. <laughs> a podcast that needs butter, hopefully. Well, you know, uh, you know, you do a lot of podcasts. I do. You, I may have a problem. And, you and Renee, you guys get a lot of podcasts, and, and plus, you've got Overcast in your doc, so you're listening to a lot of podcasts. Yeah. Um, but I hear your voice in my headphones a lot, and I usually don't get to talk back to it, and it's it's uh, it's been a pleasure. Likewise. I'll see you Tuesday morning. I'll see you Tuesday. <laughs>